Here's a place where all of us can be safe. Our stories of transformation can be safe, and all the things we want to research are safe here. This is Safe Space with Cheyenne. I'm really excited you're here, and I hope you stick around for a while, because I've got a lot to show you before I leave Earth. I love you guys. As I was saying, um, I'm trying to figure out why my manager and my girlfriend are looking at me so weird, and they have no idea that I can't feel my arms or legs, or let alone stand up. So, oh, and you haven't told them yet? No. Oh, shit. But they know that I need to leave. Um, and me and my girlfriend, you know, we live together. So she immediately, she comes over and helps me up. Um, and I do vocalize at that point. I was like, I can't really feel my legs, so I don't know what's going on. Um, so they both help me up and help me to the car. And out of panic, you know, I'm like, we need to go to an ER. And she's like, well, obviously. So we go to um, an ER that's close by. I would probably never go there again um, because. They just aren't qualified to yeah. diagnose something like that. Right. Yeah. But just, you know, when something like this happens, when it's fear, and you don't know what's going on. Because at this time, I have no idea what's going on. Um, so we go. They give me a CAT scan because that tells you everything. That's protocol, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Gave me a CAT scan. The doctor said, oh, well, it's probably just a virus or something. So here, gave me a prescription. We go get that prescription filled. It was for Meclizine, which is travel sickness medication, because apparently they thought I had, um, what's the loopy? Vertigo? Vertigo. They thought I had vertigo. <laughs> um so whatever, we go get that. Obviously, it does nothing for me. We go home and make it through the night. I still feel like crap. Um, next day rolls around and my girlfriend says, hey, let's go see one of my friends who is a chiropractor. You know, he has his own place and all this other good stuff. So, um. We go see him just to get an opinion, and he knows a lot when it comes to, you know, the health industry. Even though he's just a chiropractor, he's still he's like, hey, I can refer you to these people or whatever. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I'm in there, and I still can't really see too good and feel my legs or anything, so I'm just getting around real slow. But um, he starts, you know, adjusting me and tilting my head in certain ways um, to where I can see perfect. The nystagmus is not even a thing. And I was like, that's perfect. But as soon as my head is moved from any position, I go right back to that weird feeling, not being able to see, and it's just uncomfortable. And he's his reaction just said it all. He was like, mm, man, you know, when somebody does that whole, ooh, you know, I think I know what's going on, but I can't say it because he's a chiropractor. He legally is not yeah. allowed to tell you what he thinks. Yeah, I get that. And so... We leave, and um, of course he wants a follow-up. And so Autumn, who was my girlfriend at the time, she's like, okay, we're going to have to approach this in a different way. So we ended up going to um, Wesley, um, Wesley Medical Center, and she had called in a couple of favors because, you know, she had uh, done some nursing stuff in the past. And um, 
She called in a couple of favors and got me an immediate bed in the stroke unit at Wesley. And um, went in there. Uh, they, you know, talked to me and all this other good stuff. Asked me what my symptoms were, how I was feeling, what was going on. After explaining all that, they ordered an MRI almost immediately. So MRIs, I don't know if you've, have you had an MRI before? That's a long story, but I'll try to shorten it up. So no, I haven't had one, but I almost had one. Mm -hmm. And I went to the doctor to have one. And then the doctor was like, actually, there's a lot of inflammation. So we're going to wait a little bit longer to give you an MRI. Huh. Okay. They're just annoying. I don't. I I didn't want to do it in the first place, so I thought it was like a cosmic redirection. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go get an MRI today. I never thought that I would be in this situation in my life. And then I get there, and the guy touches my knee for like two seconds, and I was like, I thought we were doing an MRI today, not some weird six-minute office exam where I leave feeling like you don't give a shit about me. You know, and that's the voice in my head. I didn't say that out loud. Right. Yeah, but there was a really nice guy named Eric who actually came in and fit me for a knee brace. Mm -hmm. And um, I love Eric. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, like we had a past soul connection. Like, he just came in and me and was like, you have some really cool tattoos. I said, I don't know if you're trying to be that nurse that's, like, trying to give me a shot and distract me, but it's working. <laughs> what do you want to know? What do you want to know? Yeah, Eric? so he's, like, trying to, you know, sit here and fit me pretty well. See. And is that the that's obviously the one where like you can't move in the yeah, machine, you right? Can't You're move, just like move if you want to. You're starting over. Ugh. Gross. But anyway, so I get this MRI, um, and then they wheel me back to the bed, and I'm just laying in this bed like, so what? What are we gonna What are we gonna do here? Like, what's next, guys? And you know, the doctor comes in and shows me this printout of, because they they did an MRI of my brain, shows me this printout, which I can't even see because <laughs> my eyes are stupid. And I was like, oh. But it's called what? Nystagmus. 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 Right? Yes. So that's still continuing yeah, this is to still like happening. spasm and go. And uh, he, wow. was, he was like, oh, well, so he's like, right now you're, you know, you're dealing with, this nystagmus, that's your eyes going crazy. He's like, and then he also referred to it as oscillopsia, which is pretty much the same thing. Um, and I brought up the fact that they gave me meclizine and all this other stuff. He's he's like, well, yeah, that's what they give to people who are dealing with vertigo or travel sickness or whatever, motion sickness. He's like, but that is not what this is. I was like, good. So you know that that's not whatever. He's like, so I asked him, I said, so what is it? What's wrong with me? He's like, well, we're going to have to do something else just to make sure where we know for sure. That's not something you want to misdiagnose. Yeah. He's like, we just want to be sure. I was like, so what, what's on my, you know, what's on my MRI or like, what did my brain look like? He's like, you have a ton of lesions on your brain. Um, and he's like, that's not me exaggerating. He's like, he's like, you just have a lot of lesions on your brain. And I was like, well, what is, what do lesions on the brain mean? He was like, we'll get to that because it can mean a number of things. So then they ordered a spinal tap. Oh my gosh. Um, I have never had a spinal tap. Let me tell you, um, out of fear, because they explain as like, you know, this needle is going to go in your spine and 
whatever, and it can feel really strange if it touches whatever in there while they're in there. And I was mm-hmm. like, you just got, you can't move. Talk about feeling violated. I had to be bent over on this bed thing and this needle in my back, and I'm just like, can't move. If you move, yeah. you could. I mean, you really cannot move. Yeah. The the title is spinal yeah. tap. And um, so I did it, and whatever. It's like okay, we'll we'll get the results of that, and uh, we'll be with you. <laughs> we'll we'll talk to you in a little bit. So back to the bed, and I'm just I was like, how long am I gonna be in this bed? And mind you, I've um, I haven't been to work uh, for the few days since this has been going on, obviously, and I um. I have I had FMLA at the time for, you know, because before I got this diagnosis, I've been dealing with ITP, which is a blood disorder. Mm-hmm. And so I already had FMLA and my job was great. And they're like, you just need to make sure you get the feeling better. Um, so the next day rolls around. I didn't get any information the night of like that day when I did those tests. The next day rolls around. Um Mom's there, sisters are there, everybody, you know, family showed up and we're waiting for the for them to tell me something. And so the doctor, he comes in and he's like, well, it it looks like you have multiple sclerosis. At the time, I was like, cool, how do we take care of that? Right. You're just like, where's yeah. my antibiotic? Yeah, so Gotta go. What do I need to do to get get rid of this this thing? Um being willfully ignorant because I'm well aware of what MS is, but I just didn't know anybody that dealt with it. And um, so he was like, well, there's, there are medications you can take. He's like, but that's, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. He's like, MS isn't something that's curable. And given my medical history, he's like, but you're, you understand, you know, diseases that don't have cures. He's like, you know, with your idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura, long word, ITP for short. He was like, MS, there is no known cure for it right now. He was like, but I'm going to refer you to a good neurologist. You already have a good blood doctor. Um, I was like, okay, so, and at this time I'm frantic, you know, I'm like, okay, that's fine. No cure. I was okay with that. I was like, when do I get back to walking and doing all my normal stuff. He was like, um, about that part. <laughs> He's like, there's many different kinds, many different kinds of MS. He was like, there's progressive, there's relapsing, remitting. Um, he was like, relapsing and remitting is when you go through these spells and then, you know, you're back to normal and you can relapse at any given time. You know, it's just, it's unfortunate. It, you just got to get used to it, whatever. He's like, and progressive is just that. It's progressive, where it just gets progressively worse. Um, it's not going to kill you, but it just, you know, you can end up in a wheelchair, you you know, all this other stuff. And so I was like, okay, so which one do I have? And he says, he tells me, he's like, well, he's like, it looks like you know, it's pretty progressive given the number of lesions on your brain. Um I was like, okay, so are you telling me that I'm stuck like this is it? He's like, I'm, I'm stuck like this? And he's like, can't make that call. He's like, every case is different. Um, and it was, 
I was, I don't want to say I was a dramatic kid, but I always just looked at the darker side of things immediately. I was like, well, I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. Immediately, I was, I was like, I'm screwed. I was did like, you feel like you're just going to be bedridden and blind the rest of your life? Like, this was it. This was done. And the doctor didn't say, like, right. hey, you're yeah, going to he be bedridden and blind. I was so dramatic. But he, yeah, <laughs> but you were just like, it's done. I'm, I'm yeah. done. This is it. Yeah, I was, I was over it. Um, I was just like... Great. I was like, this is it. This is this is my life now. You know, I was like, this sucks. Um, and granted, I was already struggling with how my kids are going to deal with this and that, you know, because my youngest at the time, Cameron, was two. He didn't understand anything. He didn't understand anything about this. You know, when it's when it's go time to a two year old, it's go time. Daddy, let's go outside. Like, Get up, get out, get out of that bed, you know. Yeah, he's like, what are you doing? Get up. That's the kind of energy he had. Um, Peter, you know, he, I mean, he was 12. So he was just kind of like, didn't understand, but he was just like, well, this is weird. He was just really weirded out by the whole thing. Which I'm sure everybody was. Yeah. You know, when you think of an MS candidate, which there isn't really one, but. That wouldn't have been the first thing that I would have pegged you for when I met you. It's like, oh, he has MS. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where I, um, like when they finally let me go, when, they, when I got the go-ahead that I can be released from the hospital, I had to do outpatient. Mm-hmm. Solumedrol is a cort- cortical steroid or whatever they give, like people that are sick, um, supposed to help your immune system fight off stuff and all this. Um, so I had outpatient for a few days for, for that, and um, it helped. It helped a little bit. Like I was able to see a little better. Um, like your eyes weren't. Yeah, they weren't going back going so crazy. much. Yeah, they weren't going as crazy. I still needed help getting out of the hospital, and you know I couldn't walk one hundred percent on my own. Um, and they told me there's like the solumedrol. It'll when it kicks in, you'll know it kicks in. And how old were you when you? Just said, like, I couldn't walk on my own right now. How old were you? That was in 2014. 15, sorry, 2015-ish. So do the math, whatever, however old I'm not going to do the math. I just, need, I just need the numbers out there. So if there's anybody at that age range, at that diagnosis in this time, they can also, like, they can identify with it more, you know? Mid-30s. Yeah, so mid thirties. Yeah, very. It sucked because I was in the best shape of my life. That's what I'm saying. Like I how was, how I was crazy. Devastated because all those and that's the thing. Like I kept thinking the first thing that popped in my head when they said MS and that hey we don't know. I was like, me and my kids, we go outside a lot and run and play and do all this. I was like. Now what? It's the only way I know how to be a father yeah, is like, to be active. Now what? Um, so I was banking on the fact that they said, you know, the solumedrol will do its thing and you, you'll feel different. I was like, cool, I'll feel different. Um, I didn't feel different getting helped into the car and help up the stairs when I got home. And I was just in such a dark place. Um, and um, I was really mean. Mm-hmm. I was really mean. I was mean to my mom. I was mean to my sisters. I was mean to my girlfriend. I was like, I just want to be left alone. You guys want to keep on talking. I don't want to talk to anybody. Um, you know, they referred me to a really good neurologist. And uh, 
true to their word, the solumedrol did its thing. And I was able to walk. Um, I could see. And it just felt weird being able to use my limbs and not feel them. So I was dropping a lot of stuff. Like any time I was eating or I dropped silverware, plates. It just it was frustrating because I was just like, man, this is this sucks. Like, when am I going to be normal again? And um, I will say that my little one, Cameron, over the years, I remember he uh, he would say, well, daddy's got the drops. Like when we started making fun of it, <laughs> like if I dropped something, he'd be like, it's OK, dad, you just have the drops. Oh, <laughs> um, oh, Cameron. But no, when I was uh, dealing with all that and just being so mean, you know, they my neurologist suggested, you know, all these medications and stuff said, hey, this is what's out there for MS patients. Um, here's the MS Society. We'll get you connected with the MS Society so you can talk to people that have multiple sclerosis as well. And, you know, they can talk about what they're going through and how they're fighting it and all this other stuff. Um, so I did that. I talked to a lot of these people um, to see what medicines they were on and how it worked for them because there was so many out there. Um, and my doctor landed on an injectable one. It's Copaxone, it's, you have to give yourself a shot every day. So I've always, I'm not a big fan of putting stuff in my body that's not natural, unless it's like, you know, some cider or something, getting drunk or whatever. But no, so I tried it. I was like, you know what? I was so desperate to feel normal again that I was like, you know what? We're going to try this. So they sent me all the stuff. This autoject, which I still have as a reminder, I'll never throw that thing away. Um, and they would send me my medicine and Autumn would help give me the shots. And I didn't feel any different. And of course, I was just anxious to be better. So if it didn't work in two days, I was like, this isn't working. And she was like, calm down. She's like, dude, you just started taking this medicine. It's not that's not how this works. And I was like, this is dumb. You know, I was like. How often am I supposed to do this? My doctor was like, well, every day. You have to give yourself a shot every day, twice a day. I was like, that's not possible. She was like, we'll try every other day. You can do every other day. It got to the point to, I didn't have enough fat on my body to where my neurologist was like, this isn't going to work. Because I was just bruised up from giving myself a shot. I was frustrated because Copaxone, this breakthrough medication, wasn't working. And I was just, I was over it. I was just so over it. Um, and sure enough, stress only makes things worse. So I had my very first relapse. Um, and my eyes started doing that stupid thing again. And then my hands and feet and just everything. I was like, what the heck, man? Come on. And Autumn, she tried her best. She told me, she was like, it's hard to be positive, but you just, you can't dwell on it and just stress yourself out and all this other stuff. And I was just like, I was like, you know what? You're, you're better than me because if I was you, I would, I'd be gone. I was like, I wouldn't even want to deal with somebody who can't even walk right or do anything. I was like, I don't even know which, why you're even wasting your time. And I, I did find that the meaner I was, the, the more I let my stress get to me, it just, 
it put me over the edge and my symptoms would just flare up ridiculously. Um, I think the worst, it got the worst for me is whenever um, my neurologist was talking wheelchairs and stuff. He was like, we got to get you some durable medical, medical equipment because you obviously can't get around like all the time. He was like, sure, every now and again, but you are going to need some DME to get around. He's like, you don't have to, but I would highly suggest it. Um, I refused. I was like, no freaking way. Not happening. Um, and I just, I kind of bounced in and out. Like I would feel good one day, like crap the next. And then I would go weeks with not being able to stand up or do anything. And then like, I would feel good for a couple hours and it's just MS is such a variable disease that it will trick you. Like it'll trick you into thinking that, oh shoot, I'm good. I'm good today. But that's not the case. And so there was a solid year where I was just unstable, like unstable. I wouldn't have been safe on my own at all. And um, it just drove me crazy because I would like they got me in touch with the MS Society and I got to talk to people on like conference calls that have MS and they would tell me what, you know, they're going through and all this other stuff. And one guy was on the same medicine I tried. It didn't last me very long. He was like, yeah, I've been doing this for five, six years. I was like, and you give yourself a shot every day? He was like, yep. I was like, well, how do you feel? Are you getting around? He was like, oh, I don't walk. He's like, I wheel, or I wheel around pretty good. I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, I'm not wheeling around anywhere. And I would just get so pissed off. And these guys are just trying to help me out, you know? And I was like, this is, this is crazy. Um, I got to the point where it was so bad that um, I told myself, I was like, is it that bad? Like, People are much worse than myself. Um, and that's why... To this day, I'm a big, I'm real big on all things considered. And <laughs> my mom, a long time ago, told, she told me, she said, Peter, stop saying that. Because I've always said, you know, when someone asks how I'm doing, I'm like, good, I'm doing great, all things considered. And mom told me, don't, don't consider all things. Like, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> um, and I always fought her tooth and nail. And I said, yes, I can. I, I can do that. Um, because sometimes... I'll bitch about things or be upset about things. And while I don't want anybody to be doing bad, people are doing much worse, much worse. Well, yeah, I mean, you technically aren't in a wheelchair yet, but I can see how the doctor would be yeah. heading in that Perfect. direction based preparing. on everything that's going on with you. And he He's um, just doing the best he can with the guidelines he's working in. And he told me, he was like, listen, he's like, you're not my first MS patient. He's like... I'm just saying you might want to look into that equipment. So fast forward, you know, um, I'm not getting any better and I'm convinced that I'm never going to get better. Um, and you've convinced yourself. I've convinced myself that, you know what, this is what this is what we're, we're dealing with. This is my life now. Um, so. Autumn was gone one day and <laughs> I had the darkest thoughts that I've had in my life. And I was convinced and sure because I'd already been this has been building up for so long and I'd already come up with a plan. And I was like, OK. And I 
convince myself that my boys and my family would be okay without me. Like, I was convinced. I was like, people die all the time. I was like, I don't really need to be here because it'll probably be easier for... So you were feeling like not only hopeless and there's nothing left that I can do, I'm never going to get better, but now you just started to turn into a burden to everybody in yep. your life. 100%. I, and all I did was reflect on everything that, from the time that I was in the hospital, on how much help I needed, how much help I needed. Um, and I was just like, you know how much easier things would be? And I, Cheyenne, I convinced myself that as great of a... As a dad, I've, I've been and am like I was convinced that this would be better, like removing myself from the situation would be better. I was like, because my boys, I can't even I can't even go play. I can't even play with them. I can't even do anything. And I was certain I was like and Autumn is stubborn. She was stubborn, like all the crap that I was talking to her to try to get her to leave. She wasn't going anywhere, you know. Um, and I was just like. What a light in your life at that time, though. Yeah. I mean, truly. Especially because she understood, like, obviously you're going to be negative, like you're going through all of it. But for her to have the courage enough to be like, Peter, like, you can think better than this. You can think positive thoughts in this situation to help us find an answer. That's that's pretty big of her, not going to lie. And I will say this, that woman, she left me better than she found me. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. That's what you're supposed to do anyways. We're not all meant to be together forever. And um, I still hold her in high regard today. Like, she's still an awesome person. And um, I'll just never forget when I got to that dark place. She she wasn't having it. Mm -hmm. She was like... Well, she knows who you are. Yeah, she's like, this is not the way. She's like, this is not happening. Um, So... As crazy as it sounds, I just I slept it off. I felt like I just slept it off um, because I hadn't slept in days and my body just shut down. But if people were curious, I wanted to throw myself off of the third floor <laughs> head first. Oh, so you want to make it like just super gruesome, too. Yep. Wow. And it was crazy. Is that because you couldn't do anything else? Like you knew you weren't going to pull a trigger. You knew you weren't going to like walk down the street. Nothing like that. You weren't going to take a bunch of pills. You were just like, I'm just going to fly before I die. Literally. I was like, you know what? And I sat there and thought. And I said, you know what? This is high enough. The third floor is high enough. Head first and it'll just all be over. And I just... And I know that sounds crazy, but I contemplated this. Well, suicide ideation is completely normal in society. And I just didn't, of course, we don't tell anybody. Of course. This is the first time I'm finding out about it. So I'm like, I'm over here like, buddy. Yeah, I just didn't. Pal. And I just, um, it was, it sucked, you know, because I was, I, for the first time realized because I've had friends that have taken their own lives and I've never been that guy to say, hey, that's selfish. No, they're 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 lost and lonely. They're you know, hopeless. They're they're hopeless. They feel burdened. And they I, feel like they are burdened. And I thought I thought to my friends that I've lost and people, loved ones that I know that have done that, and I said, So this is how they feel. This is how they feel. Mm-hmm. Or how they felt. Mm-hmm. And um I don't blame them. I don't either. And it's crazy because like when that all 
when that whole situation happened, um, Autumn comes home and she's like, what is, what is wrong with you? She's like, you're better than this. And I'll just never forget, um, I was on my last leg of <laughs> staying awake because uh, that the problem with MS and maybe, I think maybe Copaxone and these medicines would have helped with the pain and the nerve pain, but I hadn't slept and my body just shut down. She put me in the bed and my body just shut down and I felt I felt like I slept for two days straight. Um, you know, when I woke up, I was like, okay, um, we got to figure something out. We got to figure something out. And um, so aside from being a health nut, I did a lot of research just trying to figure out like, what, what do people who have MS, what do they do? And besides just giving into the disease yeah, and letting it take over, like what do they do? And I told myself, I was like, dude, there are days where you can walk and still do all this stuff. And it's harder than usual, but there's gotta be something. Um, so I tried vegan. I tried doing the vegan thing that didn't work for me. Um, vegetarian. I tried that didn't work for me. Keto, all this stuff, you know, I was trying all these diets and, it was like, no. And now my dad, he's huge. Like, so my dad's from Nigeria and he's huge into holistic health and all that other stuff. And so he's always constantly, even till this day, he's always sending me articles and stuff like that on how to combat chronic illness or whatever it may be. So just getting information from him, um, my mom, just compiling all this information and none of it's working nothing's working because it doesn't work like that. You can't just get information and then it work overnight. But that's where I was at. I was just anxious, eager, um, going to see my neurologist, you know, going to see my doctor, my um, hematologist, which is my blood doctor. So they gave me my blood doctor. I was being treated for my ITP um, and prednisone is a very powerful drug that is just so bad for you. Like it takes care of your symptoms, but doctors are like short term. Yeah, they're like, we don't want to put you on anything like that long term. So he gave me prednisone because I was having a flare up with my blood disorder. And it made my MS symptoms non-existent. Which helped me understand how addiction works because it was a pharmaceutical. So I didn't want any part of it anyway. I was like. I was like, how long do I have to take this? He's like, look, a week. So, but I understood now I, it opened my eyes to people that get addicted to stuff. Well, like say you go in for a knee surgery and they give you oxys, which this is before like the, now we have an oxy yeah. epidemic, but when everybody was given oxys right. and you're just like a normal person, like you, you know, drugs are bad, yeah. you know, you don't do shit. And then you take a 30 day prescription of oxy and now you're off of it and you actually can't get off of it. Like you're supremely codependent as a heroin addict on the street would be, but since a doctor prescribed it for you, well now, now we, do, we just have a classy version of addiction yep. going around. And it's so crazy, Cheyenne, because like speaking of Oxy, I what do they give you when you, is that something they give you if you like get a wisdom tooth pulled? I mean, they. I don't even think they can do that anymore. Well, They'll probably just give right. you, uh, let's see, there is hydrocodone, Oxy, Oxycodone, oxycodine. One of those pills. Vivans. 
I think it was hydrocodone, maybe. Probably hydrocodone. I got hydrocodone when they took one of my wisdom teeth out, and yeah. it makes me puke. Okay. So I do not it, get do to enjoy it. Do people get addicted to that? Because it made me yeah, super. Uh, it yeah. made me sick, and I was yeah. like, how do people? I, I couldn't do it. It made me sick. Well, I had a friend that got addicted to oxys for a while. That's scary. And um, like, even when I met him, I had no idea that he was addicted to him. It took him like a year into our friendship to be like, "Hey, bro, I actually take a massive amount of oxys every day to stay alive." Oh um, so we did like that's where Cheyenne rehab came into play, mm-hmm. but that's another story. But back to okay. um, he, I can't remember how we got dependent on them, but his. So for me, like I took an oxy one time and I remember like itching and scratching and oh, my second wisdom tooth thing, I got oxys. That's the first time I ever tried them. And they made me like, like not what they did to this guy. This guy, it kind of acted like it was Adderall for him. Like it helped him be more confident. It helped him illusionary, right? Like it's not like real, but his... His personality and his confidence were tied into consistently like taking these prescriptions every day. Hmm. Um, I mean, eventually, like you hit a wall with it. It's not something that you right. can maintain, can't rely on obviously, because we have an oxy epidemic. Jeez. But yeah, those people that figured out how to use them, like B12 vitamins for them. Yeah, I think that. But I will say um, after I had my daughter, I got they gave me oxys when I left the hospital and I was so terrified to take them just because mm-hmm. I had got them for my wisdom tooth and I knew it wasn't my thing. Yeah. And the woman was like, I know that you don't do really well with like stuff. You said like they puke and your body hurts and rejects them. Um, but you did just get cut seven layers deep. So you're kind of just going to have to be okay with like <laughs> taking care of that, Something. that pain because you have to take care of a baby. You're going home. You're not going to be on our care anymore. And like, you could really hurt yourself if when those nerve blockers go away from uh-huh. you, like it's the most excruciating pain you're ever gonna feel in your life. She goes, so don't be a hero, please take the medicine, call us if you need anything. So I took the pill before we took Monroe home for the first time. And I remember like walking in the house and it was the first night I had Monroe home. And I stood on my fireplace with my bottle of pills. And I said, I totally get why people can just get addicted to these, like not even realizing that they're forming an addiction. And um, like my heart went out to anybody in that moment, you know, hippie shy. Like I have a revelation or epiphany. I'm like, God, can you just be with all the starving children right now? (laughs) Like I have like moments like that. And that was my moment. I was like to anybody who's out there struggling with Oxy right now and like you're ashamed. Um, I get you and I see you. And I had to baby that medication while I was healing with my C-section because I was aware of the codependency that I, against my conscious, like this voice talking to yourself, Mm -hmm. but my body could keep it. Um, Obviously, like I was still trying to breastfeed too. So it was super weird because I was like, how, how can this run through my system, but I'm okay to like have, and it was like, so like low grade air quotes, right? Guideline air air quotes that I was able to do it. I wasn't able to continue the medication. I was able to do it for up to 72 hours. And then I ended up just taking the rest of the pain like a champ and taking like ibuprofen and doing all the hippie stuff that I could possibly do, which I should say like holistic, but. Right. um, So, I mean, yeah, just to pull apart the oxy epidemic, it can happen to anybody. And the thing is, it's crazy is it's so, easy to access that crap 
Well, I don't know about now. I mean, well, yeah, probably now. now, but like before, yeah, before they half-ass hey, took responsibility need, for drugging the whole world. Like, yeah. I could have just said, hey, I need more. Yeah. I, up, I took them back to the pharmacy to dispose of those things, by the way. Which is actually a great thing that you should highlight. So you can go to like CVS's, Walgreens, yep. back to your doctor, anything. Like if you don't know, so most people are like, oh, it's okay to like flush those pills down the drain. No, it's not. No, it's not. Please do not flush pills take down the drain. The there pharmacy. are so many places that you can take those pills and they will they will be burned properly yep. like police evidence in a funeral furnace. Yeah, because it was not. Yeah, I've, I've taken a cabinet full of stuff. I've taken stuff plenty of times, but I've also... Um, I, like I said, I've done my own version of rehab where I've had to go clean out people's houses and grab all their shit. Yep. And I've called pharmacies and I've even called like police officers that we won't mention. I'm like, hey, listen, this person relapsed. I have their shit. You need to take it. Yep. And I'm proud of all that work that I've done. I know that I'm sure that there's more certifiable ways that could have happened back in the day. But yeah. I was I was like, I'm here to help my friends. I'm here to help my friends. So... Very nice PSA, Peter. Yes. Very appropriate. Well, with that being said, you know, um, after the whole prednisone thing and my blood doctor not wanting me to, he's like, you don't need to, he's like, we're going to do this short term. He's like, I don't even like giving that to people. Um, but anyway, I, um, the Riordan Clinic, are you familiar is that how you pronounce it? Riordan, Riordan? Yeah, it's the it's the holistic. Yeah. Yeah, so I did. So freaking expensive though. It is, but you understand why it's expensive, right? Oh, 100%. Like in this world. Rightfully so. Yeah. But that's one place that I wish I could have afforded to go because insurance is a no-go. Well, right when you walk in the door, it's I think $3,500 right when you walk in the door, yeah. but you get a 40... 40 minute session with the physician. You do not leave without a health plan, a diet plan. They do so many tests that you crave a Western medicine physician would do on you. Yeah. Just so, like all the panels. I mean, like you're getting more than a 3000 or a $3,500 oh, yeah. value. Maybe it's 3000, I don't know. I hope I'm not misquoting. You can check their website. I'll put it down below. Back then it was like two grand or something. Just I'm to, sure that it's went up, oh, um, obviously, sure. but uh, yeah, no, I looked into their stuff when I moved to Wichita and it's still on my list to be one of their patients, yeah. but just like you, like, yeah, my insurance isn't going to pay for a holistic hospital. Not at all. Like, but that's not how healthcare works in America. I wish I just had like a budget just for that. Yeah. But, you They know, do great work out there. I will say, like, back to what I was saying, I'm, um, where was I? I got off track, my bad. Um, well, we were just talking about like the prednisone yeah, and like all these prednisone. things weren't working. Your yeah. doctor's basically trying to get you fitted for a wheelchair just because, yeah. you know, he's going off of your symptoms and what he thinks is actually coming down the pipeline for you. And, so, and granted, I like I'm going to my checkups, I'm not missing a checkup. And my doc, he, uh, my neurologist, let me be specific, <laughs> my neurologist is like, well, we have other medicines that you can try. Um, and there's just too many side effects. So I refused every every medicine that he suggested. I just refused it because obviously you don't have to take anything. And I said, you know what? Um, yeah, they are recommendations. Yeah. I think that's another thing you should say. You don't yeah. have to take you the prescription. You do not have to take a prescription. And that's just what I did. I said, you know, after the whole Copaxone thing, trying to give myself a shot every day, that lasted all of two months. 
I would never want to give my shot, give myself a shot every day. And it was every other, and I was just doing it every other day because I couldn't even find places to give my, it was just terrible. I was beat up. Yeah. What is your, like, what's your percentage? So people can kind of like visualize how much you don't have fat. You're very muscular everywhere. So it looks like, it looks like my body fat's like 2%. But that's not humanly possible. It's more like nine percent, ten percent. Uh huh. So yeah, but I mean, you're you're sculpted pretty good. Like yeah. you've really honed in on how to like really keep your body fit and for tight sure. and like your for vessel sure. clean. And the thing about like body fat, it's necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, a good body fat percentage is for a man, an adult man, is thirteen percent. That is ideal. I wouldn't say all men. Well, now we're getting in some. You know what I mean? Weird. I was like, not all men need 13%. Well, according to doctors, and yeah. they say, you know, if you have 13%, that's healthy. Mm-hmm. That's healthy. So, and that's where I float right around 10%. Mm-hmm. So, but I decided to just deal with it. And by deal with it, I was just going to continue to do research um, and eat as healthy as possible, which is what I did. I, um, Finally got cleared. My um, my doctor said, hey, you can go back to normal, whatever, like your normal stuff. And to me, that means, oh, so I can go back to the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is because I'd forgotten. I'd went, I forgot how many days I'd gone without like a major accident, so you say. Like I didn't fall or anything like that. But it got to the point where I had so many days that were good days to me that I was like, that means my outpatient worked. Maybe it just took long, you know? And so my doctor told me, he was like, no, he's like, you have MS. <laughs> he's like, it's not going away. He's like, but you're just not progressive like we thought. He's like, you're relapsing, remitting. So you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. And then I brought up the fact that my nerves were on fire. <laughs> like, well, that's fine. Like I can walk and stuff. But what about this nerve pain? He's like, yeah, that's that's just it is what it is. I was like, no, nah, what do you mean it is what it is? He's like, well, that's one of the symptoms. Like sometimes you just, you're in pain all the time. I was like, all the time? I was like, how am I supposed to sleep? He was like, well, you don't want to take medicine of any kind. That's the thing. <laughs> it's just like, well, we have all these things yeah. that will treat the symptoms, but you're going to have yeah. these and other things that you might yep. not like, so they, they like did the, anal seepage. <laughs> <laughs> so they did. You know the whole melatonin thing. They they give you those. They're like, oh, well, melatonin yeah. works and blah, blah, blah. I think, but I think that's great that you're like, I ain't putting none of yeah. that shit in my body, dude. No. So, Cheyenne, let me tell you, when I say I struggled with sleep for so long, and I, like now I'm used to it, but the pain that MS, some MS patients, not all people that deal with it, the pain, it's almost like never ending. It's nonstop. Just nonstop nerve pain. You're on fire all the time. And it's like, okay, so what do I do? Get used to it? And I literally had to get used to it. I was like, that's the only way I'm going to get any kind of sleep because I felt like a zombie some days. I was like, this sucks. Um, I know you're basically saying, like, obviously you still try to go to bed, try to go lay down, try to close your eyes, and you don't even get to REM. Or, like, you just lay there, toss and turn, eyes open. Like, you never really feel... Like you finally left. I do now. And come back. It took a while. Yeah. It took a while because I went through 
three hours. I'd get three hours. Um, I was averaging three hours of sleep for a long time before my body was like, okay, we're going to use your MS and we're going to make it into a mutant ability. So I felt like a mutant because like it took me a while to get used to it. And then it was just like, oh, okay. I was like, so I need to really get my mind right because it's so much more than medicines and dieting. You have to really get your mind right and be in a positive place, not just physically, but I was, I just, there's so many sides to it. Like, and a lot of people completely downplay like meditation. I wasn't meditating. I wasn't meditating at all. Um, and that's when I really got into mind over matter because, um, even though I was in pain, I was like, well, let's just not treat it like pain. We'll just, like I said, almost treated it like it was some sort of mutant ability. I was like, okay, this is kind of like a superpower. Like it's a dumb one, but it's a superpower. I really <laughs> like this though. Like do not speak so fast part of this. Cause you literally just took like your death sentence and turned it into your superpower. And that is phenomenal with retraining your brain and how to access the potentiality of your future. I'm telling you because that was only the beginning. Because oh, let me tell you when I how inspiring. When I was when I actually it's it's one thing to think about it. When I went into the gym, when I got back into the gym, the very first I'll never forget the first time I was like, okay, we can do this. I can't feel my hands, but I can move them. We can do this. I all the stuff that I you know, preach to people before when it came to working out because um, I've never been a personal trainer. I will give you the information and say, hey, this is what works for me and try to build people up and say, hey, look, don't give up, you know, do your best. Ask for help. All that came running right back in because I'll never forget the first time I jumped up on a pull up bar. How fast I came back down. Because I couldn't feel my hands and I was like, oh shit. I, I was like, what? wait a minute. I was like, I can't even feel my hands. And I'm just sitting there like, they're working. I'm looking at them and I'm moving them. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I was like, I have to deal with this. So it so was you're like relearning your body 100% in a way. 100% relearning. Right? It, was, it was terrifying because I, I was like, this is crazy. I was like, it's a pull. I'm just doing pull-ups. Like what? I can't even do pull-ups. Mm -hmm. Not to mention all the other stuff that I was doing when I was trying to prepare for CrossFit. Like all that's out the window. Qualifying is out the window. It's gone. Like I'm just sitting there. Um, and I'll never forget. I was sitting in the gym that was at my job and I was in there by myself. And I fucking lost it. Because, Yeah. I just, I just in tears by myself because I was sitting there and I was like, I felt like I'd come so far to that point. And then it, in the back of my mind, I was like, no, you really didn't, you didn't come that far. You know, I was trying to take it away from myself. I was trying to say, you really didn't come that far. Um, and I just sat there and crying by myself, you know, and I'm just sitting there like, this sucks because it almost felt like a reality because I sat there and almost went back to that moment, that dark place and told myself, I was like, no, dude, this is just the reality of it. Like you didn't even like you might as well be struggling to walk like here you are. You can't even do a pull up. You're like 
Oh, so here you are beating yourself up again. Yeah, and that's where I was, and I sat there. Working against yourself. And if anybody would have solved that conversation that I had with myself, they would have thought that I was crazy. Because in that that same moment, I'm sitting there beating myself up, I, I'm just right back at it. I'm like, wait a minute. You got to stop being a little bitch. It's like, you, this is not the end. Like, I was like, this is not the end, dude. I was like, come on, man. I was like. I feel like it's your higher self and your ego, like, battling it out for Peter right now. It was like, dumb. Like, Peter's, like, I looked in the mirror and I was right like, now. dude, you're. <laughs> I looked in the mirror and told myself, I was like, dude, you're crazy. Man. Oh, I've had so many mirror <laughs> talks. I do not think it's crazy anymore. I'm like, ooh, give was, me some advice. And I, I, um, it was a struggle, though. Um. What I did do is took my mind off of this whole CrossFit thing. I said, you know what? Whatever. I was like, just be fortunate that you can move. Yeah, and you're not in a wheelchair. Yeah. You can still work out. Um, but I went home that night and cried to Autumn. <laughs> As you should. Uh, cried it's to nice Autumn. that you could be vulnerable with your girlfriend. That's something that a lot of people, you and, know, in those situations really can't be. And it was um, also... The first time that I actually got to talk to people from the MS Society, um, because I'd let that go. I was so bitter right? Um, that I'd let that go. And then I was like, you know what? Let me, let me just try to get on one of these calls. So I got to talk to some people, and they remembered me, obviously. They were like, long time, you know? How you doing? And, and that's literally, I was like, so how, how's it going? Um, they asked how, how medicines were working. And I was like, I, like I said, I'm not taking any. Um, and they were like, you mean you, you haven't taken anything since you tried Copaxone? And I was like, nope. Well, what do you do? I was like, I just eat healthy, um, and just get lucky, I guess. And that was my thing. I was, I was like, I just get lucky. And they were like, well, you are lucky. It's <laughs> like, because like you can walk, you know, and and then it took me right back to the whole, all things considered, you know, things could be worse. Because it's not, it's not just the physical side of things. Because I, where I was then versus where I was at the time where I talked to them. Like the first time I talked to these people, I was in the same place as them, not moving. Just kind of stuck. And, you know, they're in wheelchairs. And I felt like if I would have got a wheelchair that I'd probably still be in one. And I was like, mm. Yeah, because you would have sat in there and then you'd been like, I, yeah. Peter, am wheelchair bound. Right. And then you programmed yourself in a way. And it's just crazy because, you know, I was asking, I was like, so what did, have you guys, have you ever tried standing up, you know, since, like, have you tried anything? What have you done? What have you tried? And like genuinely curious to know because, I mean, to be told that you can't walk and you try to walk anyway is one thing. To be told that you can't walk and you're just like, okay, well, I can't walk, so why even try? What the, what? Mm -hmm. Like literally, come on, man, like just try. And I mean, I wasn't like, I was just wanting to know because their journey, everybody's journey is different and you know, misdiagnosis, that happens. You can be misdiagnosed. And I won't say that I was necessarily misdiagnosed, but I was thinking that I had progressive MS and that first year felt like it. Um, and when I finally settled in to my co-pilot, which is MS, when I finally settled in and we had this conversation and I just let 
it know, if we can call it it. I was like, listen, obviously you're going to fuck with me, which is fine. Do, do what you do. You can annoy me. You can make my hands and feet tingle. You can, not, you can take my breath away every now and again. I was like, but just let me, give me enough. <laughs> like, give me enough so I can get through my day. Um, because it took me, it took me a while before I got comfortable enough in my everyday life, working out, whatever it was, to where it didn't even matter. Like, you could literally, you could take a knife and stab me in my hand and I wouldn't feel it. Like, that's how bad it was. And I was still able to fully function. And I went from not being able to do a pull-up because I couldn't feel my damn hands to doing all that crazy shit you've probably seen me do on some of those stupid Instagram videos. And um, I enjoy your Instagram videos. Don't call them stupid. <laughs> you're right. Don't but talk it, about my friend like that. I won't. It got to the point, Cheyenne, where I was me again. Um, but just with this co-pilot. Like, MS is like mm -hmm. a co-pilot. And it's just so annoying. And while it it's annoying and it pisses me off, it does make me laugh, too. Like, you really do have a good sense of humor about all the things that you went through. It does make me laugh because there's just times where... Like, I, I don't feel sorry for myself anymore. Like, that shit was back in my initial That's old shit. Yeah, that's, that's the new shit. shit. Now it's just like, because there are things that can hurt you. MS is not one of the things that can hurt me anymore. Like, I'm just, I'm here for it. Like, I'm, I'm shit, I'll mess around and not have it anymore. Like, I'm telling myself, I'm like, you know, you might not even have it anymore. And since I've become much better about meditating, especially... It's just like, okay, now we can get this under control. And it's, the reality of it is, it's just one of those things you got to kind of deal with, but you can't let it consume you. And MS, not just MS, just chronic illnesses, whatever it is, that shit consumes people because whatever a doctor tells you, is that doesn't mean that that's it. Because as soon as you're, like somebody who's told it, hey, you have cancer. Okay, cancer sucks. But cancer isn't always a death sentence. And I mean, there's so many different types. And and I think everybody's story is different. So, it, I mean, yes, I know is. that like your family member died from that <clears throat> same type of cancer, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to. Yeah. Like there is a lot of death sentencing and a lot right. of chronic illnesses based on the fact that we just don't have, you know, that relief of an antibiotic or a care plan for a way out, which is why I really love conversations talking about bridging all types of medicine. Yeah. I think there's room for everybody. There's just not room for greed. Exactly. And you know what's crazy? In my new earth, I should say, because I know there's running rampant, even in the holistic. Like, I don't think just because I prefer holistic medicine, it doesn't mean that that's not a, a greedy over whatever. What, what am I trying to say? The use, your, use your words. I don't know what word. It won't come to mind. All I'm saying is you're not safe even in holistic medicine and spirituality. And you're I think safe. this is a safe space. My I am a safe space, but I'm saying the mass marketing in oh, yeah. the Western hemisphere of how spirituality is and how holistic health is supposed to help you. Um, I still think that we have a long way of understanding and blending 
both. So you coming from a holistic background and understanding what you do and don't put in your vessel, you were literally handed a chronic illness and they said, well, the only thing that could even potentially get you back to normal is to fill your body with all of these pharmaceutical products. And you knowing that you could still be blind and bedridden were like, I don't put that in my body. I don't do that. Mm -mm, Mm -hmm. No. And I mean, yeah, the good luck comment still feels kind of cocky to me, but I would be cocky in your situation if I wasn't in a wheelchair after everything um, you'd been through. Mm. But it still goes without saying that the best part about your story is it's showing your mind is a lot stronger than what you do and what you feed it. It will it will come out and show you like, okay, you can't walk, fine, we're, we're not walking. You're like, do a little bit of Thomas the Choo Choo Train. Mm. I think I can, I know I can, I think I can, I know I can, I think I can, I know I can. I'm sorry, I don't want to be that guy, but wasn't that the little engine that could? It is the little engine that could. Oh, okay. That's the thing. <laughs> well, I thought you said Thomas. Thomas. The is it Tom? It's no. Thomas the Choo Choo Train. Mm-mm. It's not the same one? No. They're not? They're probably cousins or something. They're <gasps> not the same. You're right, it is the little engine that could. Yeah, see? Son of a bitch! <laughs> I got so excited! No, it was good though. I got the reference and I appreciate it. Now you're it. cool. I'm not even going to edit it out. I love when I learn shit. <laughs> you know what? I, wait. Right, the little engine that could. Yeah, the little engine that could. I, I still F with Thomas. He's cool. Hey, I still watch some of the Thomas movies. All right. Cameron can't stand that shit. He's like, I'm not I'm not little anymore. He's like, why are you watching this? You're like, this is nostalgia, bro. You'll figure you, this like, out. Come on, man. Day of the Diesels, bro. He's like, stop. Or no, no. What, is he, what does he say? His thing is he's like, remember exactly he'll say it i'm trying to figure out why i thought it was a little engine that could that's thomas but i think it's the noise of thomas in his intro it's like chugga 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 choo choo there's another one though we're off track but we do tree branches what is that uh, what's that toaster it was like an old school toaster cartoon or movie um isn't it the the great little toaster yeah the great little toaster (laughs) oh you're just bringing back the best songs ever now i have a train horn around here i'd pick it up if it was close to me and i'd I'd blow it just for your episode. But getting back on track. Yeah, so anyway. Come, like, obviously there is no cure for MS. Right, no cure. And it is still a daily struggle. Still a daily struggle. So. One thing that I've learned, MS has taught me, um, and who knows if I would have figured it out without, you know, getting MS, but you can't preach something or teach or any of that or train if you don't practice it yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Like so many people will say, man, this is a great diet. Okay, great for who? Because everybody's different. Um, The same thing goes when you're training, like working out or whatever it is. Like I work out every day. And one thing that I haven't gotten over is I work out pretty intensely for a long time and it's frowned upon in the workout like people that are trainers and personal trainers are like dude that's terrible like you can't you shouldn't do that you shouldn't i shouldn't do that what based on what guidelines yeah but what why tell me why well because the muscles break down at this rate and you need this much rest and blah 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 all this stuff and i was like have you tried it though none of them ever tried it. i was like okay well i've been doing this for a long time and I would never recommend that someone else do it. It works for me. I've tried it that way, that way, that way, that way. This way works. 
And guess what? I'm still here. Not to mention they don't have MS <laughs> and they're dealing with all the same things that you are. Not, I mean, MS and the blood disorder that mm -hmm. you have too, that you still combat. So Tim, let me tell you about the fun stuff. Talk, talk to me about some lighter sides. No, you're going to talk about this. Okay, this is... I'm messing with you. I know when you <laughs> say lighter sides, we're about to go darker. It's fine. Not even that dark, but so re right. relapsing. So I'm relapsing, remitting. So... In your MS. MS, yes. I was like, did we miss? So I did relapse. we mix an addiction? So the funny thing about relapsing, not the funny thing, but... And this is, this is a wake-up call for me, is I... The very first time that I relapsed real hard after being in remission for so long, like after just being cool and still dealing with my symptoms and all that shit. It's like, OK, cool. We got the pain. Sleep sucks, whatever. I was like, but I can fully function. Um, my first relapse after going like months with nothing major was an eye opener because I was at Genesis Health Club. Can I say that on here? Sure. I was at the gym. We'll just say the gym. And um, I'd developed a friendship with an older gentleman who actually just has vertigo like he deals with vertigo like all the time and so he was like man that sucks he's like I get it blah 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 and you know he was like if you ever see me and I look crazy and all this other stuff which I saw him one day when he was having a spell and I was like I wonder if that's what I fucking look if like. that's what your yes. face look like yeah he looked disoriented and just out of it mm -hmm. and so he know he knew that you know I had MS and all this other stuff he's like if you're ever feeling weird Pete you better just let me know and I was like I got you. He's like, but if I see you and you look crazy, I'm going to come get you. But I was at the gym one day and luckily I was sitting down. Like I was just sitting there and I wanted to get up. I was like, okay, it's time to get up, move around. Let's get this shit started. And I couldn't. Like my legs were gone and I was sitting on a bench and I was like, wait a minute. You're just, you're overthinking it. I couldn't feel my legs, but I could feel my hands. I was like, I was like, oh shit, I couldn't move them at all. So like I literally grabbed one leg and like moved it and I was like, oh shit. I was like, this is happening right now. I was like, David, like I yelled David, his name was David. I was like, hey David. And he peeks around the corner, he's like, what's up man? I was like, I can't move. He was like, oh shit. He was like, is this happening? <laughs> I was like, hey, I was like, it's, yeah, no. I was like, I just can't move my legs. He was like, you need a ride home? I was like, I'm not going to stay here. He's like, I got you, man. I'm not going to stay here. <laughs> so I had to leave my car there. David gave me a ride home. Autumn was like, we saw this coming. Like, we, this is bound to happen. Whatever, whatever. Um, I get home, and I'm just hanging out, whatever. I'm sitting down. I didn't want to lay down, so I'm sitting down. And it took a while, but, like, my the feeling came back in my legs, and it was that weird, like, when you're legs if they fell asleep and they start to wake up and I was just like okay I was like was that it I was like it's that that's a relapse huh that's all cool and I thought that I was like cool I relapsed and maybe that's the extent of my relapses no that wasn't the extent and this is what it means when they say it's a variable disease you know variable means variable <laughs> I was like okay Does variable mean we don't know what's gonna happen we don't to you, know but let us gonna know happen. so yes. we can write yeah. it down hey we'll take we'll make note of that and trust me I was <laughs> all this was getting written down and Letting my doctor know, and he said the same thing every time. He's like, yeah, it happens, you know. And I yep, was like, let me know. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so, well, I guess if I relapse, I can't work out when I relapse. But me being me, which part of it's, I don't know if it's just ambition or stupidity, 
I was like, bullshit, I bet I can. So can't predict a relapse, whatever. The next time that happened at the gym, I started feeling weird and I was like, this is it. It's happening. I feel this weird tingling. It's happening. I was like, what if you just work out harder and it'll go away? So I was just like, fuck it. Let's just go. Let's just go balls to the wall and see what happens. And that whole tingling feeling, it just it happened head to toe, but I was still moving. I was fine. And I was like, okay, what the, what the fuck just happened? Like I was doing fine moving around and it just got worse and worse and worse to the point where I didn't need help, but I went, sat in my car and I was like, oh, it's over. I was like, that didn't work. And I was just pushing myself to the limit. My neurologist, heat triggers MS. I was in there busting my ass, just working up a sweat. He was like, yeah, heat can be a trigger. He's like, it's not like that with everybody. I was like, everything I do is heat. <laughs> He's like, just telling you, man. <laughs> I was like, nah, man, this isn't, this isn't the way. I was like, I can't not work out. He's like, that's the only thing that makes me not hurt all the time. He's like, well, there's this thing called balance. And I was like, I know. Thank you, doctor. There's this thing called balance. I was like, thank you, Dr. Hassan. You're the dude knocking on the gym door at like 4.30 in the morning when they open up at 5. And you're like, okay, okay, Peter, we'll let you in. They were kind enough to do that too sometimes. Yeah. Not but every time. Not every time. Let me tell you that there was no way that I was going to... Um, the only thing that I did ask is like... They they told me, it was like, it's, it can't kill you. I mean... it. Never killed anybody. I was like, okay, cool. I would sit in the fucking sauna. I would sit in the sauna religiously. And just like train your MS. You're like, listen, bitch. I don't know. You're going to like heat today. <laughs> I don't know if I was training it, but I was doing it. I was yeah. like, we're going to do this. Um, I got to the point where I was just so used to being in the heat. And I'm, I'm already a pretty hot person. Like I feel like my temperature is normal. But when someone touches me, they're like, dude, you're like a furnace. Yeah. I've hugged you a couple times. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm warm, but I got to the point where I was like, heat, huh? I was like, I guess we'll see what happens here. I would never recommend anybody try that. But I'm talking about, I was... Underline, underline, underline. Yes. We are not advising anybody. Nobody. Don't do it. On anything. If you have MS, stay out of the sauna. Stay out of the steam room. In fact, if you have MS, do not take any of your... Tips from him. None from me. Because these, this is his MS journey. I think that's very important to say. Because you're an extremely unorthodox case. Mine and mine alone. Yes. And did I? T wait, I told you about the marathon I ran, right? We're about to get into okay. that. But anyways, back to this. So I just put myself in hot situations as often as possible. And it was hard to not be in a situation where heat was involved because I'm I was always working out because it's the only way that I didn't hurt all the time so some people thought I was just crazy like dude why do you work out so much I was letting people know like literally that's when I feel the least amount of pain is when I'm training and they can't believe it because they would be in a massive amount of pain if they did the workouts that you did as rigorously as you do them hence when I had a couple of friends I was like let's let's try it I was like I wouldn't if I were you, you know, and that's not like a cocky or whatever. I was like, I'm just saying, no, don't, I wouldn't because you could probably hurt you yourself. Hurt yourself. Yeah, yeah, you can probably hurt yourself. Um, but one of my buddies, he was, he was like, well, I got this. Um, and then he proceeded to tell our friends after that, he was like, do not work out with him. He was like, that's, 
That the guy even, is crazy. He said, what did he say? He said, that didn't even make sense. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I appreciate that. He's like, no, don't appreciate that. He's like, I'm, it doesn't make sense. He's like, why do you do that? Yeah. I was like, look, man. But I'm again, just, for you, which yes, is I why like, I was like, this is just your journey. Just, Please do not replicate <laughs> right. what like, he's doing. I just want to be comfortable and I'm comfortable when I'm working out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a, it's a lot, though. You know, it's a process. And I got to the point where now it's just so much balance. Like, I wish I could remember the name of this guy that has an audio book. I'll find it and I'll send it to you on sleep cycles because I wasn't sleeping very good. And... You can actually sleep in cycles. Some people can actually sleep in cycles. Me being one of them, it worked for me. Um, whatever sleep I was missing out on during the week, I would make up for it on the weekend and feel like a completely new person. And it's just like, okay. And it took you know, a few months of doing that before I was just like, this actually works. And you pair that with um, you know, just taking care of your mental health, which is the most important part, because that's always left out. It's one thing to be okay physically, but if your mind isn't right, and you can imagine, Cheyenne, how hard it was to be stable mentally and just psychologically dealing with all that crap. I mean, we left out little parts, like with the kids and just because... Well, yeah, daddy, get up. Yeah, there were so many times where kids are ready to go it's like let's can we can we go play can we go to the park we want to play soccer can we go throw the football and then it's just like not happening it's just like yeah but like fast forward now in reality today like you're a soccer dad and those fuckers can't keep up with me and they can't and those really that's the oh, term you want to use <laughs> <laughs> Those babies can't keep up with you. Those little jerks they're so mean. Oh my gosh. You know what Cameron's nickname is? No. Baby jerk. Are you big jerk? Are you daddy no, jerk? No, this is what my sister, one of my sisters nicknamed him baby jerk. <laughs> Said, man, you were a baby jerk. Baby jerk. And, oh, uh, my God. It's funny, though, because she always gives him a hard time, but he can be a little baby jerk when he's messing with his aunties, and they spoil the crap out of him. But anyway. Hold so. on. There's something that I want to make sure that we get into really quick. Yeah. So... You reference like mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want you to like, you were doing IT, working out. Um, we met in a completely different career path, which is what I think is important to we're getting there. pull up, right? Mm. But um, as far as mental health, it has a lot to do with who you surround yourself, like people that support not only you, but the way you choose to move forward with your journey. So I'm sure there are people in your life that were like, just take the medicine, just do it. Like, come on, listen to the doctors. But then like you listening to your body, listening to your mind and obviously sticking within your boundaries, you're like, no, I won't do that. I won't go that way. So, I mean, are there some like angels you can highlight in your life? that obviously supported the way that you wanted to go? Actually, no. Um, Well, no, I take that back. So no one, not one family member, not one friend ever suggested that I go the route of medicine or pharmaceuticals. The only people that that ever said anything about it um, to no fault of their own were the people with the MS Society that were already MS people that already dealt with MS as well. And they were like, well, and 
it's just crazy to me because they were in a place where they were they were that was enough for them. They were comfortable with that. I wasn't comfortable with that. Like I just I believe that there was more than being stuck in I was I just I was not okay with being incapacitated. I've I've dealt with that and the fact that I got past it even a little bit let me know that yeah, you I can get past that and I don't have to take medicine to do so. I was almost upset that I um even did the whole Copaxin thing for a couple months because it made I felt like it made me worse. Like I felt like it made me worse and it could have been psychological because I was just like, this is crap. Like my body hurts. It's just not okay. Yeah, but you're also not a fan of anything pharmaceutical. So from the mindset standpoint, yeah. immediately you were like, this is synthetic garbage. Synthetic it's not garbage. going to do anything. So again, power of the mind. Power of the mind. Power and, of the mind. And mom was mom was big on that. Mom was just like, boy, let's clean up that diet then, you know? And it's not like I ate like crap or anything because I still already, already took care of myself. But she was like, there's just some things that need to change. You can cut out sugars. And I did have a sweet tooth. Still do. I was like. All right, whatever. I still have a sweet tooth. I had to dig sugar out of my no-no <laughs> cabinet for you to put in your tea today. I know you have a sweet tooth. But there's just things that, you know. This is your human experience, honey. No I judgment. Changed. No judgment. Yeah. This, this is a safe space. And you have like 10% body fat. Yeah, this really is a safe space. And you're in, I mean, you're in the studio too, so. Yes. The magic of the crystals and the instruments and the piano and all the all the beauty that we get to surround ourselves with doing this story. Um, we still have quite a lot to get through. We do. We really do. And I still think the, the whole story needs to be told. It needs to be told. Has to. So... MS is still part of your life today. It's still something that you're dealing with. Mm -hmm. But let's let's fast forward to that um, lovely afternoon when you would like to go out to eat with. So fast forward. This is good. So I didn't get complacent with my work. I love being in the IT field. But my best friend was hardware and software computers and that's all that's all I did it was just all right we gotta we gotta get out there dude like aside from previous work experiences it's like all right I just need something else instead of looking at screens all day um but before we even before I got to that point me and my lady at the time which is the mother of Cameron, we went out to eat and her friend that was with us brought her kids along and we went to Bubba's because I don't, she had heard about Bubba's. She heard about the bacon and the cheeseburgers, even though you weren't going to eat them, yeah. but her friend did. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And um, so we went to Bubba's and I'll just, I'll never forget. I wish I remembered the server that we had that day um, because... She was super nice and energy, like lots of energy. And this one of the managers, by one of the managers, I mean you, came to the table. I was like, who else was managing that day? <laughs> came to the table and I don't know. Did you just give me a card or how did that work? I know. Well, I mean, it started as just a standard table visit. You were, a, you were a first time guest. We yeah. flag our first time guests. We come up and we give them something. And I mean, I, 
I genuinely want to make sure that you have a good time in the restaurant that I'm managing because like I have integrity. Yes, you do. Not all the time at that point. <laughs> like, but let, let's be honest, this is a fucking training ground, right? right? right. Um, so like I had my moments. I definitely don't want to be like, I was the best manager ever because I certainly had like a lot of holes. But for how we literally like talk about cosmic alignment. I'm telling you. You guys were first time guests. I walked up as the manager on duty at the time. And I walked up. Um, I already thought that you guys would be like a cool table. Like talk about not knowing your intuitive empath. Uh Like (laughs) for your new career in the future. Um, But I was like, oh, this table will be easy. Like mom's cool. Dad looks cool. Kid looks cool. And the thing that you have to do when you walk up to people that you know are couples is you got to focus on the woman. So if, if I like if I walked up and put all of my body energy into like you, like everything, I would have lost the woman and I would have lost my whole spiel. Right. So like I walked up and I beelined it for your baby mama, who I mean I mean she's gorgeous. Don't get me wrong, um, but I beelined for her and I made sure that she was the highlight of the table. I saw you. I knew you were there. I still remember the tank top you were wearing. Um, and I was like, how is everybody doing? And like immediately, like the table just like lit up and they're like, wow, we really like it here. The energy's here. We love our server. They're even you coming and checking them out. So that is just great. I'm like, well, it is a part of my job to make sure everyone's okay. So I just want you to know that you would have seen me whether you had a good time or a bad time, but I love first time guests. It's one of my favorite things to do to welcome people in and make sure you feel safe and comfortable. And yeah, we want you to come back and see us. We have kid programs. We have this, 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 you know, like I did my, my whole little thing, but yeah, you were like supremely inquisitive (laughs) and I couldn't give you as much attention as I would like, because again, just per my training, not anything I was picking up at the table, but Mm -hmm. I was like, if you don't keep your focus on this woman, (laughs) you're going to lose the whole table real quick. And again, like the nicest way that I could say it. Like I, I could feel that. I'm like, if I, if I even turn my body towards this man real quick and talk to him, I'm gonna lose every, I'm gonna lose every bit of self-respect. You did great though. I think I did really good because um, I didn't know one that you were an IT guy because yeah, it is kind of like, you're very extroverted for being some guy that sits behind a computer all day. Mm-hmm. You were so curious and fascinated about all the little details that a lot of people I don't really get to talk to you about. So, I mean, you were like pulling me into this vortex of conversation that I love to have. And I was like, wow, this is such a revitalizing table visit. I did not expect this to happen. Then, well, how did I get your card? Oh, wait. Because you, you were like, what would it take to get a job here? And you had already been like so jokey and sarcastic that Mm -hmm. I didn't, I didn't believe you. I was like, why would you ever want to work in a restaurant when you're like an IT guy? And like, you know, people, people are your thing on the other side <laughs> right. of the screen, not sitting at a table. I was like, you can actually see yourself serving. And you're like, well, well why, why? You know, you're just kind of like, why wouldn't I, would I not be a good server? <laughs> and I was like, no, anybody can serve. Like, but you have to have a really good personality. If you have a crappy personality, yeah, you can fill drinks and sling food all day. Mm-hmm. But you have really made sure that those people did not have a good time in your presence. Yep. And I am, I really like when people have a good time, not only in my presence, but in the business that I'm managing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, 
technically, if you don't have any server experience, it is kind of a red flag. And then you look back at your resume and there's nothing to do with hospitality. It, it literally is a professional introvert, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, I just wanna, I just wanna know what it's like. And I was like, I believe in you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I know that if I went to my boss right now and was like, I met this great guy, he's got great energy. The first thing my boss would have said was, well, does he have server experience and where are you gonna put him? And you know, what are the hours we're gonna give him? Like all this stuff. And I just like, I went on pure instinct and I was like, this dude's got it. I was like, if I came into a restaurant, I said, dude, fill my drink up once. Don't give a shit. Dude is killer at conversation and he just makes you feel good. I was like, that's what I want at my tables. I was like, if he gets behind, I was like, teamwork makes a dream work, baby, we'll figure this out. I said, I believe in my company, I believe in my training program, and I believe in me at what I'm trying to do with my store. So I'm like, you really wanna be a server? You Like, are you messing with me? <laughs> and you're like, no, seriously, like, I really think that I could do it. I was like, well, what's your availability? And you're like, oh, it's total crap. I probably couldn't work a lot for you. <laughs> and it was like, I mean, seriously, it's a failed job interview with the wrong type of manager. Right. But I'm over here talent scouting percentages of people's to just fill holes in my server staff. I was like, you know, man, I was like, someone like you doesn't really need to be a heavy hitter. <laughs> you know, you're not going to be a part of the A team. You're not going to be my garage door people, you know? I was like, but... I said, there's just something about you that's just like very welcoming and genuine. And I'm pretty sure if I just put you through a couple days of training, I was like, I'm pretty sure that like, there's a place here for you. And you're like, all right, well, I'm gonna take your card and I'm, I'm gonna get a hold of you. Mm -hmm. And you know, in my mind, I'm like, okay, take my <laughs> card, go ahead and put your application. I thought you'd just like not do anything about it. Mm -hmm. Well, you didn't even know how to apply for the job either. Because oh. I was like, what's your name? And I wrote your name on my hand and then I had to go put it back in a post-it because mm, wash your hands. Um, and uh, the post-it sat on my computer for like two weeks and I just kept waiting and waiting for your name to pop up because that's, that's all I had was Peter Montgomery. And I was like, all right, well, what happened to that guy? <laughs> that was a really good exchange of energy. Like he really wanted to work here for like having <laughs> zero clue what the hospitality industry entails. So I was like, I'll just like let it go and like hope he comes back to eat and I'll give him some shit. Like, uh, you had me, bro. <laughs> I believed in you and you did not. And it turns out that you were in a completely different folder. You applied for a server assistant position and not like a server. Mm -hmm. So I finally found you and I called you and I actually got on the phone with you. And when I heard your voice, I was like, Peter Montgomery, I was like, did you mean to apply for a server? Like, did you come in with like your girlfriend and your kid? He's like, you're like, yeah, 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 that's me. I'm like, dude, you can't even apply for the job correctly. <laughs> and I'm like, you still got me like hook, line and sinker. I'm like, can you just, can you just come in here for an interview? I was like, I got, I'm here all day. Like whenever you want to walk in the door, I got you. And you walked in and you're just like, I, so do I like have the job? <laughs> like, how do I do this? You were so naive for lack of a better term of like how to actually go about getting into it. And I feel like it's the same way your friend was like in Chippendales. It's like, Hey, if you want this opportunity, like I got you. Yeah. I'm a, I'm gonna throw some clothes on you, teach you how to talk to people, mm. upsell my shit properly. And then there was that other manager that uh, 
Yeah, Christina. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I messed with her because you know no. what she's about, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so I I set her to the table to do a table visit after me because what else am I supposed to do in my fun house? Right. And uh, she was like, oh my God. Mm, mm, you know, just like doing her thing. And I was like, yeah, he wants to work for us. She's like, hired. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, I know he's hired. I said, how am I going to get it? How am I going to slip it past that he doesn't have any server experience? you know, past like the big guys, cause they'll eventually come back and be like, this probably wasn't like a correct hire. You know, you really gotta, gotta really think about it. You know, like doing their strong arm talks. So I set your interview outside in the patio and then I was like, oh girl, I have so much to do. I forgot about this interview that came in. I said, I don't even know if I wanna hire him. You know, like I really hate to like throw it on you dude, but he's at the patio, can you just go? <laughs> And she has to walk around a corner for anybody that's still listening. She had to walk around the corner to get to you. So like I, I came around the other side of the bar just to watch her face yeah. like like Christmas for me. And she walked outside in her eyes. She goes, oh, oh, yes. OK. And she just like sat down. She's like putting her hair back and stuff. She's like, I remember you. You remember me? Like, she just had a blast. I already knew you were hired from that, so I was like, have some fun with me, man. Was I was like, my other manager is obsessed with you. I'm like semi-obsessed with you. She's like about to put your face on a t-shirt. So, yeah, you were hired and you started working for us immediately. Mm -hmm. And the staff fell in love with you immediately. And my favorite part is you did, you were so nervous your first day that you decided to pretend that you were um, British. Yeah. I, <laughs> and I totally went along with it. They're like, shy, where'd you find a British guy? I was like, he just walked in the door. He's from Liverpool. And it was funny. How, I guess I shouldn't say. Just like, people? just British, that's awful. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> He's from over there, like the UK, England, United Kingdom, like wherever you want to put that voice into perspective. And it's funny because not many people, well, they were confused at first. Like a few people were just like, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Like they believed me. We convinced people for about 20 minutes. Yeah. And then eventually we didn't have enough yeah. uh, knowledge of the accent to actually continue it. But it really, it was, it's just such a fun work environment anyways. So it was, it was nice to like bring everybody in. So yes, the importance of the story besides talking about how great our friendship started was um, I know most people think like they get into a career, they stay into a career, they've been into it for so long, they have curiosities about going outside of the parameters of their job. And they're like, oh no, I'm too old. No, I can't do it. No, I don't have time. No, I don't wanna learn all of these things. And your curiosity is like, can I do that? Oh yeah, I can do that. I'll just go try it. Who cares if I fail? I'm just experiencing, I'm just trying. We tried it and we so, tried our best. We didn't just try it. We actually tried our best. It's yeah, like, you really did. Let's see, let's yeah. see what happens here. But and I already told you when you came on, I said like, you're probably never gonna be a team because you're not gonna have enough time in this building to do that. Like right. you really are coming in on, on those days. I know what section you're gonna be in. I know what Same type of people. Section. Like we're gonna do four tops or less. We're not doing large parties. And what's funny? We're is not doing mean people in Peter's section. Everybody got that though. Yeah. Like, and that's it's funny because they would, the people up front would just know. They was like, no, not Cheyenne will not let that. No, 
don't do that. <laughs> well, if it, if it got like, so say like a host is training that day, right? right? And they're just pop off and put the seat there. Um, like I'd walk up and I'd be like, who did that? We all know the Peter rule. <laughs> and then that. like the new girl's like shaking in the corner. I'm like, it's okay, I'm not gonna bite. I just need to know, I need corrective action immediately so this does not happen again on the next guest that walks in the door. You were too good to me. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I mean, I my people, like, you took care of my us. people. I took care of you, you and the other people were training grounds to under like mirrors in my face of like, you don't have to be so rude. You don't have to be so mean. You don't have to be so condescending. But I mean, yeah, it was a training ground for me. I still felt like I was a junior manager at the time. It was the second store that I had managed, and it was the f the one in the worst condition that when I came in, mm -hmm. that they were like hey, you have a lot of work to do, so we're actually not gonna get on your case for about the next year. You have a year to figure out all of your numbers, your staff, like, you understand culture? Okay, well show us culture. Shoot, you did that. Well, I, I had to get people to tuck their shirt in first, and that is hard when it really wasn't a thing for them. So I came into a store, um, obviously my kindness was taken for weakness immediately. I wasn't allowed to do or change anything the first two weeks. I had to walk around with a notebook in my back pocket and just write down like, why why are the sugar bags here instead of here? Why are they weighed out like this? Why, why, why? And I had to ask why for two weeks and I wasn't allowed to reprimand anybody. I just had to observe, like I had to be a ghost in the store that I just got, that I just took over. And for two weeks I got to do that. And then my boss, who over like flew around to all the stores, mm -hmm. came back and we sat down with my notebook and he asked why. And then he asked me what I would actually like to do instead. And then he was like, hey, Rome wasn't built in a day. And if you implement too many changes, you know, you could have your staff revolt against you. He's like, you're still building like rapport with all of these people. You have to get your staff to like you. If your staff doesn't like you, like there's more of them than there is than you. They're always right. gonna work against you. So like I teetered mm. between that. I brought on people. Um, like my biggest thing that I look back for now so I don't take 100% uh, responsibility is like I was manipulated a lot by a lot of the people that I worked with and they took my kindness for weakness in a lot of ways or they knew that um, oh, like, oh, it's shy, it's okay. Like, right. it'll be fine. And I'm just like, I'm nice to you because like I care about you and I support you and I believe in you. But the fact that I didn't get that reciprocity back from so many people that I actually thought cared about me mm -hmm. is what in, in turn like made me really jaded and very hard. And like towards the end of that career, I was just like, I don't give a fuck. And I used to give a fuck. And I still wanna give a fuck, but I actually can't because I'm, I have honestly a lot of resentment built up towards a lot of these people that I'm working with that I still love. I saw it coming. Yeah, like, I mean, I was praying for it. I was just like. Yeah, I was working towards it and I was praying for it. Let's talk about putting your mind towards what you do and what you don't want. Right, the, well then it turned into, I was like, all right, like if she goes, a lot of people are gonna go with her. 
but I wasn't going anywhere. I was just getting out, out, and I was gonna go oh, find Cheyenne on the wall. Into, into everybody, like our, our little community, like our little yes. family. And again, not to go off on like a 20 minute tangent about myself, but- I get it though. The family that we're <clears throat> trying to like portray to everybody in this place, like Peter came into this restaurant he ended up going through a breakup with his the woman that yep. like I I met at the time and his breakup was like really hard on him. It really triggered a lot of his MS again because he's like, okay, here I am again. I have to take care of myself. But what if I start progressing again and I'm not able to take care of myself? I can't be with my son. Like it opened up a portal of like just BS for him. And he felt supremely safe in the store and in this community and this family we built. And I mean like most people like want to go to work and leave work and never come back. We not only had employees coming to work and sitting in, in the garage bar to support our other friends mm -hmm. when we weren't getting anybody in the building, but we had people like clocking off of work, changing the uniform and sitting with everybody else. Like yeah. it was a hangout. You wanted to be at this restaurant with all of us. It was great for me because I was closing. So <laughs> I was like, dude, you're going to hang out with me all night because I have to close and I can't leave the building. So you were one of those people that you'd be like, okay, I'm coming up, do you want me to bring food? And I was just like, thank you so much for caring for me because I don't wanna be here. I wanna be here because you guys are here, but like my soul is obviously like, <laughs> bitch, we're done. we're done. You know, like move on, get out of here. If you don't leave, we're actually gonna make you leave, which it was the make you leave thing that was the option. And I mean, that is just like an iconic conversation in its own, yeah. like, yeah. I'm a go, my dog's on the couch, my blunt's rolled up, I pause Netflix, say your speech, you're gonna run your store, and I'm a go home, and I actually am going to Colorado next week for a week for my bachelorette party, because I decided not one day is good, I just need to go relax at a house, a smoke a bunch week. of weed, and sit in a hot tub and look at the mountains, and then after that, I'm gonna go get married in Illinois mm -hmm. with all my family, and then after that, I'm gonna go to Jamaica for like eight days, and then after that, I'm be sitting on a guap of wedding cash and the money you're paying me to leave your facility, might I add. And I'm going to go find myself, which that's my story. That's part of it, at least. That's part of it. And you did, you did that. I did that. And I mean, I'm obviously a podcast host and I have a bunch of other tricks up my sleeve. Eventually, I'll have an episode where I tell my story. I haven't figured out when. I was like, when? Because I, I want to be a part of that. Oh, my God. It'd be like a two or three part series. It's such a long story. But getting back to you, I mean, representing like the family that we came into at Bubba's, like I still have a lot of those relationships in that core group today. Yeah. Like the rest, the restaurant is like not a part of both of our lives now. Yeah. I mean, as far as like employment, we still go see our friends um, together. Yeah, we've actually vowed that we usually don't go to Bubba's unless we're together. The last time I was there is when we went. Okay, I did go one more time without you. But moving on, um, the family and the mental health support is the biggest thing that I would pull out of those because I know that I was meant to meet you there and meet so many other people there. Um, and then obviously the continuation of the story that we're getting ready to go through. Yeah. I mean, I don't know who you would have called to do those interpretations. Like maybe somebody else would have come into your life, but I'm always curious um, if it wasn't that person that came in at that time, who else would it have been? You know? Yeah. And it's just crazy because after Bubba's, like after that chapter, because that chapter is closed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're not like Chippendales. They can't call. Yeah. 
that chapter's closed. Um, I got everything out of Bubba's that I needed in terms of like relationships, like family. Mm-hmm. And that was that. I think you also got to connect with people in a different way, but it, it well, obviously wasn't sure. like super passionate. Like you were like, if I serve this section like a day a week, then I can stay with my family. Mm-hmm. Like you, you learned real quick. You didn't stay at the job because you wanted to be a server. Yeah. Like you had a full-time gig and you didn't even need the money. And sometimes you had some mattress money pop up too, might I add. So like, it really was about the family and staying 100%. around us. And I, I mean, I understand Texas Roadhouse culture and Bubba's 33 culture as a whole. So like, I would, I get that. Yeah. I, I get not wanting to quit your job because like, damn, my family's here, you know? And it was Ooh. tough. And it got to the point where it's just like, all right, we got to take you off the schedule. I think Anthony took me off the schedule. He's like, well, the, you, so you do pick up only. Yeah, I was, like you're that's allowed, what it was. Yeah, in some states you're allowed to um, offer pick up only mm-hmm. to people that, um, say like a nursing student, for instance, she was doing like clinicals and studying and like a whole bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. All of her schedules were so sporadic that um, I was like, hey, do you want to do pick up only for a while until your life kind of settles down? And then maybe we can assign you like maybe a Tuesday, Thursday, a Friday, Sunday, something like that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you really did like try to go in and work with everybody's individual schedule. But since they're one perspective and you need to meet their one demand, they don't actually realize that like you're feeding to me like 50 plus um, jobs and obligations and time off and schools and holidays and concerts. Like, you know, you come up to me, you're like, hey, Cam's birthday's on Sunday and I really need it off. And I was like really needing you to work that day because 17 other people needed that day off. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to let you down and I don't want to let them down, but right. I'm eventually going to let somebody down. Somebody's so I always had to be like the bearer of bad news. And it always came back like, you don't support me. Like, did it, you know, like someone's going to go off of me. And I'm like, hey, hey, I have 50 kids in this building and I'm trying so hard. Right. I'm trying so hard to just do your schedule. So yeah, pickup only is really, really good for like those people that you would technically like want to keep on and grow for you. Mm -hmm. I had a manager that was like, don't ever offer pickup only. That is like the prisoners running the asylum. What are you doing? Which he's like a hard ass old school dude anyways that like, it's not about the people, but uh-huh. I'll pretend it's about the people, <laughs> right? Pretend that it yeah, is. Yeah, and I was like, I am adamant on it's about the people. And, you know, if we drop a bottle of liquor in bar training, well, I bet you I'm going to make you back that money tenfold because I can train her properly to pull money out of their pocket. Mm-hmm. You just got to get your left brain away from me because we're talking about culture and people. And we're in the people business and we just happen to serve food and booze. And a lot of people that I worked with really didn't get that. And if you did get it, you had a really good time working with me. And if you didn't get it, then you got to meet the divine masculine inside of me. And I was fierce. Fierce. I was fierce. And I don't want to do that anymore. Like, I don't want to be in an environment where I have to do that. But talk about training grounds. It was... Oh, I mean, I'm so thankful for my time there. And I mean, I'm sitting here today with you because... I met you at a table visit and we sparked a ridiculously cool friendship the last like four or five, six, seven. I don't even know how long we've been friends now. 2017. So 
5,000 years. I mean, it's just been such a long time. Holy crap, it's been six years at least. Okay, I'll give you six years and a couple past lives, Fair. all right? Oh, well, yeah, that part. Yeah, so. don't even get me started on the past lives, yeah. but moving forward with understanding mm -hmm. where we are with MS, still working forward, you're, I mean, you're doing shows where like you're not necessarily stripping, but you're doing those shows where like they do body paint on you. So I've, done, I've only done one of those. Okay. Yeah. But you're still getting out there. You're still doing it. You're still yeah. exploring life and doing all of that. Yes. Because you know what I'm like, we're building up towards now is just the hardest part of the episode. Nah. Nah. He says, nah. Nah. Okay. I will say that it is, you know, a little complicated because up since then, you know, since the, since Bubba's, um, everything has been kind of the same. I've chosen to remain single, you know? So I think that works for you with it, everything that you're going through. It does. It's hard to really bring somebody into everything about you and the way that you compartmentalize everything. Right. And Cam is like so your main focus. 100%. And I, I admire that. And because Peter, my oldest, you know, he moved to Pensacola, Florida, and he's just school. He wants to do what I do. Well, he's doing what I do, but he's going to school to further his education. And um, he likes doing IT work as well. Software development and coding to be exact. So, Which is obviously just the future. Mm -hmm. It's now, it's the future, it's never going away. So he'll, he'll never not have a job opportunity. I'm telling you, and I've, but yeah, with that being said, ever, ever since then, everything's been pretty much the same, like up until, you know, obviously dealing with MS, it's an everyday thing. MS is an everyday thing, everyday but thing. like- it's just, it's just a part of my life now and the only thing that has changed since then was 2021, the very beginning of 2021. I mean, like, the very beginning, like, boom, it's New Year's, New hey, Year's, New everybody Year's go to bed, and you wake up, and you're supposed to wake up and start your New Year's resolution. Yep. And day then one, January 1st. And, and then yours started like this. It started off ugly and I'll tell you why it started off ugly, Cheyenne, because prior to that day, prior to that day, me and my beloved mother got into a nasty argument, which moms and kids argue every now and again. But this was just, it was just an ugly argument. And um, she was, we were neighbors, because, you know, we lived in the same complex and she was just one hallway over and uh, her and I just got into a fight and it was stupid whatever and we're always good about um sorry about that you know like sorry about that and we didn't like we didn't that that time eventually it would have happened it just didn't you know and um New Year's Eve um so New Year's Eve that night at 12.02, mom calls me, 12.02. And she, she tells me, she's like, I love you. You're gonna have the best year, all this, you know, all the good stuff. And it was, it was awkward, 
But mom always called on New Year's Eve to say, I love you and Happy New Year. And stuff. So, like, obviously, you're still mad, so you weren't no. receptive to the conversation? No, not, I wasn't mad. I was just, it was weird because I was just kind of upset at myself. I was like, dude. Why did you treat your mom like that? Yeah, like, come on, yeah. man. Like, you should have called her way sooner. <laughs> and obviously, she didn't sound like herself. She sounded, it didn't sound forced, but it sounded forced, if that makes sense. And she was like, I cooked a bunch of food. Um, and she was over at my younger sister's house. So she was with two of my sisters um, and my dad. And they were over there. And she was like, I cooked all this food. Make sure you come over here and get some of this food and blah, blah, blah. Just whatever. And I was like, okay. I was like, I will, mom. Are you okay? She's like, I'm fine. She's like, but just remember, you're going to have the best year ever. And I love you. And I was like, I love you too. And it was just weird. And we got off the phone. And that was it. And then... I went home um, from the party that I was at, and I didn't even drink. It was just a weird, it was a weird New Year's Eve, but I mean, I didn't, I don't know. I just went home. I was like, all right, cool, whatever. And at six o'clock that morning, my phone's ringing, and it's snowing like crazy. It snowed a lot. And my little sister is hysterical, screaming and crying on the phone, and I just never forget how her voice sounded, and she was like, Peter, get over here, mom's dead. And I froze, and I was like, what the fuck? I was like, calm down. I was like, she's not, don't say that. And she says, she's not breathing, we're, we're right here, we're trying to wake her up, she's not breathing. And um, so I was talking to, it was so surreal and just weird, I was talking to one of my sisters, like the sister that I was talking to, shit, that I, damn it, can you hear me? Go. All right, so the sister I was talking to wasn't even the sister that I thought I was talking to. And I didn't even realize this until way later, way later. Um, so 6 a.m., I'm, you know, I hop up, I get in my car and drive over to my sister's house where my mom was and... uh you know, they already had, there's already an ambulance outside and all that. And the the lights were off. Um, so that was like, obviously. Right out the gate, yeah. Yeah. So, like, uh, whatever, when your heart or something comes in your throat, whatever that is, mm -hmm. that feeling, I was like, okay, cool. I was like, no big deal, whatever. She's fine. And I was convincing, trying to convince myself that she's fine. And I walked in to the house um, and... Like the EMT, was, they were in the hallway. And I have friends that are EMTs, and I know how they have to do their job, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're just kind of stoic, if you will, usually. The, it was a guy and a girl. The girl was, she kept her shit together. The guy, I've never seen it in my life. The guy, because you're not supposed to be like super emotional, like mm -hmm. if you're whatever, but he was crying. Like the guy, the guy EMT was crying. And then the lady, um, she was like, I'm really sorry. And that's all she said. She's like, I'm really sorry. And uh, so I went into the room where my mom was. And uh, she had, um, they put a sheet over her. And um, it's just really weird, you know. And all I could do, Cheyenne, was um, I got down on the floor. And, um, and I told, I told her. Mm. 
You got this? Yeah, no. <laughs> so I said to her that I was sorry, you know? I said, I'm really, really sorry for how I talked to you, you know? And I, and I apologize for not being a better son because I'm sure my mom was happy with me. Um, but I, uh, I don't know if it was just emotion, but I felt that there was something I could have done better, you know? So um, I thought I would be sadder at the time, you know? But I didn't cry the entire time, and I was focused on that. For whatever reason, I was like, holy crap, dude, you're not crying or anything. And then Sharon, Sharon shows up and loses it. Mm -hmm. um, like we knew yeah. like she was going to. Yeah. Like Obviously, all your sister's finding yeah. her. And then when Sharon came, the, Sh the matriarch. Yeah, Sharon loses it, and she falls to the floor, and she just wraps her arms around our mom, and she's just crying. She's like, please, mom, please wake up. And um, I was like, Sharon, I was like, she's gone. Like, she's not going to get up. Um, and I was just, I walked into another room, and I was just pacing around, trying to figure out what I should do. I didn't know what to do. I was like, I was like, shit, you're not doing this right. Like, what does that even fucking mean? I was like, you are not doing this right, Peter. I was like, go hug your sisters. Like, something, something's... And then, like, I called my friend, my best friend, DeAndre, that he's been there since day one. Like, we met when we were 10 years old. Like, two troubled kids. Our parents were like, hey, these kids need to hang out. Maybe they'll better each other. <laughs> and it fucking worked. DeAndre, is, he's awesome. Still, my, I still talk to that dude every other day. Here we are, 41 years old. I called him up. I was like, you got to get over here. He was like, what? Why? What are you doing? He's like, where are you? I was like, I'm over at... Um, Satona and um, Laquiza's house and dad's house. I was like, he was like, why, why am I coming over there and it's snowing? I was like, because mom, mom's not waking up. He was like, what? And then he just starts, I hear all this rustling in the background. Because he's getting up. Yeah, he's coming. He he's like, on his way. What? I was like, she's dead. She died. And he just, I can't even remember what he said, but it just, it was so loud and he's just freaking out. And I was like, please be careful because it was snowing. Yeah, you don't want anybody getting an accident on the way. So, I get that. He gets there, and um, he is a man's man, you know? Like, this guy, DeAndre doesn't cry, doesn't mm -hmm. do shit, none yeah. of that. He gets there and just fucking loses his shit. And I'm just, Cheyenne, I felt so alone. I was like, maybe I should try to cry or something? Like, I was trying. I was like, okay, this is just not cool, man. Like, I feel something, you know? I feel something, but it's just not, this isn't, this isn't really working out. Like, I was like, I think I need to go um, in the time that I'm needed most, you know? I wanted to leave. I was like, I, I think I need to go. And Which I mean, you, it's, I'm sure, outside perspective coming in, like, just eagle on the situation. Like, everybody's crying and holding each other and, like, Families band together usually in times like this, but mm -hmm. you were like, I just need to sit with myself and sit with my thoughts. And I think that's an okay to, way to grieve, but you feel obviously really out of place because you don't, your, your grieving isn't, let me hug my sisters that are crying yeah. and the hysteria of death. And I mean, she's still covered, yeah. covered up in front of you guys, you know, with 
all the amounts of respect to talk about her, um, it highlights that not everybody grieves the same. And it was just strange. It was a really or strange Or finds place. out and takes information, the shame, like the, sh the shock, you know? She called all of you before midnight and every year, you know, I love you, you're gonna be great. Said all the things that a mom mm -hmm. should say to her kids. And then you expected her to just, you know, be there, which that's how we all are with parents. And it was just, you know, I waited till they did their thing and they took her body away and all that stuff. And everybody, more family was already there by then. And everybody was just kind of talking about what we're going to do next. And you guys need to get rest and we'll address the next steps tomorrow and all that good stuff. And I was like, now's my chance. Like I found a good Place to make an exit. Good segue to yeah. leave where it felt segue, appropriate. Yeah, it felt yeah. appropriate. So I got the fuck out of there. Um, and then I got home. <laughs> and I was like, fuck. Her neighbors. <laughs> She's not in there, obviously, but great. And then it turned into figuring out, let's get her stuff moved and all this other stuff and clean up her apartment and all that. And just to, you know, when I got the keys and all that, we got keys to her apartment or whatever, just to go in to her place and see that she had packed all her shit, you know, was another thing that didn't sit well. And I was just like, what? All of her papers were, everything was in order. And um, as we're moving stuff out, you know, Sharon told me to stop looking for a letter. <laughs> She's like, she didn't write a letter, Peter. I know what you're thinking because I was just like, why would she pack all this, her stuff up? Like, why would it all be packed up? I was just in here a couple days prior. Why is it packed up now? And my sister, Sharon was like, I know what you're looking for. You're not gonna find it because mom, she didn't write us a letter saying that she was about to go. Like, no, but anyway. So we went through all of that, getting everything moved out and who's taking what and all this other stuff. And my sisters thought it would be a really good idea to start feuding. So which is going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't there for the feuding. Like I was like, hey, listen, if you're going to have problems with her, that's fine. I want nothing to do with it. Oh, you're going to have problems with her. I was like. I was like, we're being stupid right now. And then I had to correct myself. I was like, I'm sorry, we're not being stupid. You guys are being stupid right now. I was like, why would we do the opposite? I was like- Wasn't this around the time that you guys were picking out pictures for her funeral though? Yes. Okay, yes. cause that's when we had our first yes. talk. It was like, I, I would think that mom's passing would bring us closer together. Mm -hmm. I was like, I don't, and maybe I'm crazy for thinking that. And I mean, it happens, but passion and grief run high together in that. And like, they loved her so much. They all wanted their way of remembering her in it. So let me interject because I remember the phone call um, that I, so obviously like you hear somebody died, you want to be there for your loved ones so bad. You want to pick up the phone immediately, but you and everybody else is probably doing that and being the person receiving the condolences on the other end, it's supremely overwhelming for them. So I'm like a second wave 
that usually comes in in those situations for my friends. And it honestly depends like how close you are in my everyday life and my personal life and like even in my spiritual realm. Um, so I got the news from your neighbor that your mom had passed away suddenly and I was in total disbelief because I had just seen her two weeks ago driving by waving mm -hmm. um, when I was at their apartment. And she, she just goes, look, there's Pierre's mom. Yeah, they're neighbors, it's great, da, 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 da. And I was like, how cool, you know, how freaking cool. So like even to me, not knowing her personally, but just knowing that's Peter's mom, she's a good woman. Um, she was vital, she's smiling and waving at yeah. us. Like they were, Kenneth and Michelle were telling me all the stories of like how great she is. So I couldn't believe it just from the limited exposure that I had had on her, but the exposure I had to you, it's your mother, my heart's breaking for my friend. So I just sent you a text and I said, um, I'm sure that everybody's calling you and I don't know what to even say to you. I'm like, I know your heart's breaking and like, dude, literally, if there's anything I can do, just like, please let me know. And then not too long after you text me and you were like, can I call you really quick? Like, yeah, don't even ask permission. Like, please call me. And you just said, um, you know, obviously, thank you. It's very shocking for all of us. You're like, but Shai, can I talk to you? And I'm like, yeah. And you're like, I, didn't, I haven't cried. And I'm like, that can be normal. And you're like, no, but everybody around me is hysterical. Like I got the call when I heard she was dead and I didn't cry on the drive over. I didn't cry when I saw her covered up with a sheet. Obviously, like when you got on your knees, you had a minute, but I haven't had like a good cry. And right now we're getting ready to pick out pictures for my mom's funeral and my sisters are fighting and it's driving me mad that they're fighting because we're all supposed to be together because of mom. And can you tell me why I'm not crying? <laughs> And I was like, well, no, I don't have that answer. I was like, but I mean, it really has a lot to do with how you live your everyday life anyways. I mean, you're, you're in massive amounts of pain every day just from a neurological perspective, right? Like the MS, the pain. I'm like, you are so used to feeling pain all the time that you've figured out how to override it in a way that none of us could ever understand. So I'm like, you have an extreme amount of compassion for what's going on in your life. And yes, you you just lost someone that there's never, there's never anybody that's gonna be able to feel with it. I said, but don't, don't feel bad that you can't cry yet. I said, just be there for your sisters and be there for whoever you can because you are really strong in this scenario. I go, and you'll fall apart later and if you need me, I'll rush right over and I'll do what I, what I can for you. I'm like, but please don't beat yourself up because it's okay if you don't cry. There are people that don't, don't ever shed a tear in grievances like that. And then, yeah, I mean, back into the story, your sisters obviously were having some moments and that's okay, we can skip over them. I'm yeah. sure they'd like to keep them private. They had their moments. They had their moments, which everybody's allowed to, but I know that you struggled tremendously with what happened with you and your mom before she passed. And then obviously the guilt of, why didn't I call, why didn't I say something? You know, all of that stuff took precedent after the funeral. Because the funeral, you still felt very like, when is a good segue to leave? Like, is can please, can I just get through this? Can I just get through this? Because I stayed in close contact with you, but I obviously put it in your court to contact me. And you'd be like, okay, 
the funeral's over, but I just feel like I'm still stuck in it. Like, I just feel like I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be Groundhog's Day and I'm going to go back over to my sister's house and we have to redo everything again. And then enter the dreams. And that's the thing, this, these dreams. So my sister's dreams were so different than mine. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, neat, you know? Like, I have to pinpoint Sharon's dream because Sharon dreamed of mom's funeral. And, but she walked out into the hallway and saw mom all echoey and angelic like. And mom was like, it's, I'm good, I'm good, you know? And Sharon's like, but mom, you're, you're supposed to be in there. And she's like, oh, no, no, it's okay. She's like, just want you guys to know that I'm good. And, you know, Sharon wanting to hug her. And she's like, you can't touch me. <laughs> she's like, you can't do that, but just know that I'm good. And um, here I am having a recurring, I don't know if I call it a nightmare, but my mom's a fucking zombie in my dream. You know, we're approached by these people from the mortuary and these scientists. And they're like, hey, you want more time with your mom? We can make that happen. And I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's a good idea. And then my sisters, all of them unanimously are like, yes, yes, we miss her so much. We want more time with her. And then they look at me and they're like, don't you want more time with her? And I'm like, yeah, but I don't think this is the way to go about it. And everything, I disagreed. They, they told us that, hey, ever, this has to be a decision that all of her children agree upon. I disagreed and they over, it's like they didn't hear me talking. Like, it's weird. I was just saying, no, this isn't, I don't think this is a good idea. And like, nobody paid attention to me. Nothing. So they bring back zombie mom. And every interaction with her, I just would not look. It's like, you're right there and I'm not looking at you. And she's talking to me. She's like, son, why don't you look at me? Don't you miss me? Aren't you glad I'm here? And I'm like, yeah. And my sisters were just overwhelmed with joy that she was there. And I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. I was just like, did you think like, obviously that's not my mom. My mom died like, and you, necromancy isn't a thing. Yeah. And so we don't bring souls back because that's was, not how it works. I was like, this isn't, I was like, this isn't right. And that the only thing that my sisters said in the dream, all of them were, well, don't you miss her? Don't you miss her? And I was just like, yeah, but this isn't right. This isn't the way. And that was it. That was the dream. I would wake up and do it again and do it again and again. And I've, I've only had recurring dreams happen a few times before, but this one just over and over and over um, until finally I um, I went back to my, I went to my sister's house because I hadn't stepped foot in the house since then, you know, um, I just went back and I was like, what the, what's going on? But that didn't do shit. I just thought maybe it would trigger something, but that didn't do anything. And, uh, you know, even like the funeral was, that was tough. Like, because like I said, I called you, but even dealing with that, and I was just like, this is it. Like, I was trying to build myself up. I was like, this is it. We're going to let it all go. We're going to cry. This is it. This is going to be the one. It's going to be the release. Nothing. And I just stood there looking stupid. And luckily, nobody, everybody else was so emotional. No one noticed how dumb I was looking, just standing there, like, talking to my mom. I was like, mom, what is wrong with me right now? Like, Mama, I love you, but I cannot cry. Yeah. And then 
realizing that dude, you're not talking to her. She's not like I literally went through these thoughts in my head. I was like, she's not in that body anymore. Like, just whatever, dude. She's probably standing right next to all right. of you, just walking back and forth, touching all of you. And, you know, and then one of my friends, um, I'll never forget, Davon, when you listen to this, he um, he called me and he was like, he's like, man, I'm sorry. He's like, he's like, you just look so alone while you were standing up there. He's like, everybody else was crying and consoling your sisters. He's like, I was crying, man. He's like, but I looked up and I saw you standing at your mom's casket. And he's like, you just looked lonely. He was like, I'm sorry I couldn't help you. He's like, but I didn't know what to do. And uh, I don't know why that just sits with me. Like, I was like, man, what? And it always goes back to that MS thing. I was like, what did I look like? <laughs> like yeah, what did I look what like? What did I look like? And um, But you have to process it differently based on what you've went through and what you're still dealing with. Like, your nerves are on fire every day. So, I mean. And it's just weird because the dreams stopped. But you had more dreams than that. I know. And I know that you don't remember them, but I do. I know, but those, that recurring. Like that zombie one, you're absolutely right. You, you had it for a bit. You called me on that one and you're like, please interpret this and tell me like what's going on. So you told me about um, obviously the fight that you guys had before. Yeah. You didn't get to say the sorry like you used I, to. So That didn't sit well with me. Yeah. So I mean like we were really able to pull that sector of dreams apart but you were still waiting to cry. I know, and that's what killed me. It's just like, I was like, is this, is this grief? Like, I know what grief is, if you know, if you want to look at a definition, but I was like, this is my mom. Um, and I, uh, I'll never forget, this is the last dream I had though. I haven't dreamed of my mom since, mm -hmm. but I, um, and it was, it was weird. I don't remember going to sleep but I just remember in the dream it felt so real like she and another thing that came to mind was my sister's dream because my mom used to drive this Monte Carlo that everybody wanted to buy from her and in this dream she pulls up she pulls up next to me in that Monte Carlo that everybody loved and it was so weird because her voice was echoey just like Sharon had described in her dream. And, you know, we were, I was, I asked her how she was doing. And she, um, she told me that she's doing good. And she also, she, she told me that I, <laughs> she told me that she's not mad at me and um, that I, it was time for me to let go. I'm sorry. You have to apologize. Um, she just told me that She echoed something that you said. She said that she did everything that she needed to do here. Her time here was done, but she forgave me. and She told me she was never even mad at me. 
but she said that I needed to let go. And um, I looked at her and I just asked her, I was like, I didn't even get to ask her. I said, well, mom, and before I could even say anything, she says, you know, you can't touch me. <laughs> and she wouldn't let Sharon hug her. And she wouldn't let me even try to hug her. And I don't know why. But I will say that I woke up and cried a lot from that dream. And I still feel an empty space. And I don't know if that's selfishness because I don't want her to come back. Um, whatever she's doing or wherever she is, I mean, she should be there. Um, I just, it's tough because I feel like people forget, you know, I'll never forget her, but I feel like people just forget and it's not that we don't talk about her enough, but I tell her I love her all the time and she doesn't say anything back. She's not supposed to, obviously, or maybe, I mean, that's not my call to make. Well, just in your interpretation of how you think we talk to people after they pass on, that's what you believe, so that's what you're receiving, right? Yeah. Because you have no idea if she actually is talking back or not. Right. I mean, like, I have a feeling she probably is. She's probably in this room right now. Just so proud that you're able to speak your truth. I just wish I could go back and do things a little bit different. Um, I would have never talked to her that way or fought with her at all, you know? And I don't feel that she should have had to reach out to me to make things right. That should have been me. I should have I should have just apologized after we argued. It was just stupid shit anyway, and just said, hey mom, I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't always disagree, but you wiped my ass and took care of me. I wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for you. And I had the audacity to have a fucking attitude with her. Mm-hmm. Like, who the fuck do I think I am? Why couldn't I think like that then? Here we are now. Oh, oh, regret? Oh, you regret it now, don't you? Yeah, but you think about, like, what is it? what has it taught you? Like, how do you move forward and treat people better that are actually still alive? Do what my mom told me a long fucking time ago. Don't go out of, don't go out of your way to be an asshole. It is so easy to be a good person and to be nice have to try to be an asshole you have to try to be mean granted she also highlighted the fact that we're not perfect we are not perfect no we're gonna mess up but you, have but to, you gotta learn from it you gotta try twice as hard to be mean and say mean things it's so easy to be nice it's so easy not to do anything at all instead of saying something mean you can just not say anything at all I could have done that. I could have just not said shit. I've just been like, this is my mom. Let me accept this constructive criticism. 
let me not be a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom was so, like, reading her journals, you know, after the fact, she was so accepting of our beliefs um, because my mom allowed me as a kid, even growing up, just to be agnostic, to be agnostic and follow, find my own way, you know, with guidance where it's needed, not let me run rampant or anything, but just even when we discussed religion or lack thereof, she was very accepting because mom believed in, um, she was a Christian. <clears throat> and she told me, you know, she was like, and the reason that I, I'm big on the universe and energy, you know, and I believe that there's a higher power, but I don't know who or what that higher power is, but the universe will put your ass in check if you get out of line. I'm a strong believer in that. And I've always followed that. And I, me and my mom always talked about it. And she's like, I respect that, son. And I've always believed that, hey, if, if I'm following the wrong path for whatever reason, it's not out of maliciousness or anything like that. And I truly believe that whatever the higher power is, if I'm not following the right one, I hope they have mercy on me. Because, hey, I'm just I'm just here to do what I think I'm supposed to do and do right by people, you know, mm -hmm. do right by people. And hopefully that what my mama told me about good energy, hopefully she's right. If you put that good energy out there, you should get it back. You don't have to expect it back, but you should. You don't get to muddy it up either. Yeah. You don't need to be good one day and bad one day. And exactly. think the bad is just going to go away and then the good will only come back. It reminds me of karma. I love the word virtue. Same. But you're absolutely right. And we need more good in the world than we do bad anyways. Like corrective action is important. Looking yourself in the mirror is one of the hardest things to do in a situation like what you're doing. Like obviously you can't go back and fix it, right? But you do get to learn from it. And it's so powerful. Again, I'm going to go off the last phone call that we had on the dream interpretations. Mm -hmm. You called me um, the same day you woke up and you said, um, we had a series of dreams. We won't get into all of them. Yeah. The, the other, <clears throat> so the dream before that, um, you called me and said, hey, I had another dream. Can you walk me through it? And um, You're my go-to. <laughs> I appreciate it. I love you so much, and I'm so happy to be your safe space. And I'm glad that we get to share these stories with others to know that they're not alone. So you called and told me, um, hey, I just had a really weird dream, and it's kind of actually messing with me because, like, I think I have to move. <laughs> And I said, what happened? And you're like, I swear to God, my mom just came up and knocked on my door. Yeah. On my door and on my window. Yeah. The, well, oh, the sliding, sliding glass. glass right, yeah. right, 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 right. And you're, and I'm like, okay, well, that's completely normal because you guys are neighbors. And I mean, like, you know, totally normal that your mom that passed away could have just might have knocked on your door or it's a dream. And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure it's awake. just. Yeah, but we're going back in between. We're going back in between, like, did she really come and knock on your door? Right. Or sh am I supposed to convince him that he just took a little cat nap after too many Sour Patch kids? 
So I was like, I'm never gonna convince anybody away from that. I was like, okay, so your mom knocked on your door, what'd she say? And you're like, she just acted like, like she wasn't dead, like nothing happened. Like, hey, I cooked some food. Hey, you coming over here, you wanna do this? But then like out of nowhere, like everything was gone. That's and you're like- thing. She would always knock on my, and I knew it, Cheyenne, I was awake when that happened. It was just weird. It's okay. But that was her they're, thing. But they're allowed to come back. That's the thing. Like this weird separation of like physical and spirit. Like I know it's like different frequencies, right? But in in the time when they pass away, they too get time to go and finish some stuff up. Not all of them, but yeah, I don't have like the scientific terminology to convince you that like she was real there. But this is a phone call that I'm getting from you where yeah. you're like, I can imagine how it sounded. <laughs> but you called the right person. You know, who are you going to call? <laughs> Me. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you're like, I don't know what to do with this information. I think I should move. And I said, well, you know what? Why don't you? Like, think about it. You're kind of stuck in a cycle of my mom lives next door. My mom lives next door. And that's how you're dealing with it. You're like, oh, she's busy. I haven't seen her in a while. So you, even after you had buried her, had the funeral, seen her, went through all the grieving with your sisters as much as you could, when you went back to your real life, the way that you coped with it, you telling me this, you said, um, yeah, I just tell myself that she's like next door and she's busy. And, and I'm like, well, have you went over there and like knocked on the door or anything? And you're like, well, no, everything's moved out. It's not even her apartment anymore. So like, I know that she's not there, but... I tell myself she still is. So this is uh, an energetic form of not letting go still and a coping mechanism coming into it. So obviously like her acting that out, like that's one thing. I'm gonna end on that because there's so many different ways that we could go through, is she there, is she not? And then I'm gonna go to the next phone call where honestly, anytime you, you call me, like I know it's, like, I don't get to be that friend that gets to miss phone calls because mm. people are calling for some real shit. And, like, they're, like, going through it, and they dial it, and they're like, please pick up, please pick up. Oh, hey, shy, And they're, like, playing it cool real quick. Like, hey, you got a minute? Or, like, how's your life? Uh, you know? So I'm like, I understand that people might miss my phone calls all the time, and I try not to get upset about it because I'm like, I needed you too. But I understand, especially when I see your name on my phone, I'm like, let me get to a quiet area because if I don't pick up, you know, I'm going to call you back in about 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. So uh, my mom had come to Wichita with um, my stepdad and she got an Airbnb so Monroe and I could stay with her for a while and we could just really get some good mom time. Mm -hmm. um, and I looked down on my phone and I was like, oh, Peter Parker. And um, for a minute I was like, well, I'm with, I'm with my mom and I really want to spend some time with her. Like I don't have that long. And I was like, Peter just lost his mom. I was like, there's no, like, I'm safe, I'm always safe, like, I have to answer the phone. And I figured it'd just be like, quick anyways, like, hey, what are you doing, oh, we, we can't see each other today, that's cool, we'll see each other another time. And you said, I could hear you, you're like, hey, uh, um, what are you doing? <laughs> and you're like trying to play it cool, and I was like, Peter, like, drop the shit, why'd you call? And you're like, I had another dream, and like, I think it, I think it's it, I think it's the final one, like, I'm kind of tripping, you wanna walk me through it? And I was like, yeah, give me a minute. And I was like, hey mom, you got Monroe? I was like, I gotta go do a dream interpretation in the other room. And she was like, okay, honey, I got Monroe. Like, she's not gonna be like, what? Right. She's just like, 
that's my girl doing her shit. Um, so I walked in the bedroom and I like I made sure that like I settle my energy too because I'm about to link up with you, mm-hmm. and I'm like walk me through it because I'm gonna close my eyes and I'm gonna tell you what I see and we're just gonna touch base on some things. So per my memory and per our conversation, um, yes, you were sleeping this time and your mom came to you. But when you were in this dream, you were in this in-between space that so many people talk about, but they they don't know like what it's called. It's a meeting space between the living and the dead, right? So you're standing in the space that you really don't recognize. We're talking about pillars, clouds, blue skies, light, harmonious feelings, the feeling of peace, and this is why I have the memory for you. I'm so glad that, because when you when you expressed the dream, I was like, I can't wait to tell my side of the story. Um, so you're in this in-between space. And the only reason I knew that that's the place that you are referencing is because I've been in this in-between space with another soul in my life. So um, she comes over a bridge and you can't see on the other side of the bridge. And it is just as theatrical as you'd say, there are there were rainbows, there were clouds, like there were flowers. She came over in an outfit you recognized, but I do not remember right? Mm-hmm. And she came over and she was like floating and happy. And she was like, Hey, like, she was like, you so graving over me. Oh, I yes. knew that's why I came yes. back here. She's like, I knew she's like, I knew I had to come back here one more time. And then she got stern with you. And she's like, now listen. And she pointed back over the bridge. And she said, now listen, I got a whole new life over here, son. She's like, I'm not even your mother over here which to me is confirmation of releasing consciousness of your old self to move on to your soul's evolution. And she's like, now listen, I can't go unless you let me go. You're literally holding me back in my afterlife and I love you enough to stay here in this limbo until you release me and let me go. She's like, that's a mother's love. That is a mother's love right there. She's like, so Peter, She's like, please. She's like, do not be sad. She's like, you're looking at me. I know you can't touch me. She's like, but let me go, son. Let me go. I'm with you every day. It doesn't make sense to you because I just told you to let me go, but I am with you. We're all together. She's like, you're not gonna understand it yet. And she points back over to the bridge And she goes, I have a new life and I really like it over here. They're all really nice and I like who I'm becoming. So one last time, because listen, boy, I'm not coming back to tell you in your dreams. I'm not coming anymore. I'm happy. I'm fine. You can let me go. And then you said, all right, mom. All right. If that's what you want me to do, I'll let you go. I don't want to, but I get it. And then you didn't get to hug, but it's fine. You looked at each other. You got to watch her walk and she turned around right before she walked to the other side where you don't get to see her. And she looked at you like, boy, go. That's a face. Yeah. (laughs) And then you woke up and you called me. No, I didn't remember that until now. Like, I remember verbatim. 
honestly one of my favorite phone calls ever to get to like help with that transition of coming and waking up from those. Um, they're super heavy hitters. And um, I mean, like you're so near and dear to my heart anyways that, I mean, I would just do anything to take your pain and suffering away. I can't, I can't, right? I'm not God. But um, the fact that you were able to reach out to me and, and call, and I mean, I literally, I should wear a shirt every day that's like, seriously, if you need something, call me, I got you. Like, I'll figure it out. And if it ain't me, I'll get you in front of the right person, you know? But yeah, when you called me and we walked through that together, I mean, like, it was like you were in the same room as me and we were like sitting in front of each other. And like, we were really like consciously synced up and... I know that you felt some relief. It's not like, it's not like that's the day everything went away. Like everybody grieves differently, but it's so healthy when you can speak about a past loved one um, from the scarring of obviously like the losing their physical death and understanding that um, even you opened up more to the spiritual realm of things because you realize that the division that we've been taught between being a physical incarnated soul and then actually being a soul without a physical body we're really not that far off and we are not out of contact with them we don't contact them the way that they we want to but we have a different purpose in the physical world than they do when they move on as your mom told you in your dream which is a hundred percent correct whether if i drop dead tomorrow because of a brain aneurysm i would be happy to let everybody know that I believe that that was my soul's path and I guess I did everything I was supposed to do. And the notebooks are by the bed, <laughs> you know? Like shit, Ugh, that even got me. Just cause I'm not ready, right? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not ready to go. I have so much shit to do. But your mom had a profound insight into the spirit world, not she was a psychic, she was a medium, she did cards. No, she was like a God-loving, God-fearing, good woman. But she was connected to her divinity and her divinity gave her the insight that she needed. And when like she has literally like a heart that has a timer on it and she knew it and she was like, I'm not leaving my babies. I'm not leaving my babies behind like this. I don't wanna do it like this. The only thing that she got to do to let you guys know that she was preparing all of you for it was for when you went to the apartment and seeing everything packed up, she tried to make her death so easy on you because she knew it was coming. Her heart was failing. Medicine couldn't save her. It wasn't their path to save her. And as I told you before, you were supposed to have this interaction with your mom, even though that's not the last thing that you want, but you're never gonna go to bed mad again. You're never going to leave things unfinished between people because yeah, you could wake up the next day and they are gone. And that is a really powerful lesson outside of the horrible grief that anybody could have over losing a parent, especially a boy to a mother. I mean, and I should even say like a boy to a father because father-son relationships, they just go deep, especially when it's like the best father in the world and you're not ready to lose them, you know? So you did, you did good, real good through everything. And I don't think you give yourself enough credit for how strong you are for everybody in your family because 
your sisters needed you to be Peter and to be strong like that. And even though sometimes they were like, well, haven't you cried? It's okay that you didn't cry. Your mom literally set you guys up for success as much as she could. And I think that you should be so proud of the way that all of you came together because you are all still so much closer afterwards. And I mean, grief really does bring people together, but you guys are, you're doing, you're, you're setting a really good example. You know, like I still have my parents. I don't want to lose them, but I study, I study how to cope with that because I know it's a constant fear of mine. If I have a thought in my head that's like, oh, well, the day that my mom goes is the day that, well, I'm just giving up on life too. Well, I can't do that. I love my life and I love my daughter. I can't give up on that, you know? So I've pinpointed these fears and I've studied them and I still continue to study them. And death is my worst one, especially like sudden death. Or people that like you wish were in your life anymore. I call them the living dead. Mm-hmm. People you wish you were in your life anymore that they aren't. Like that's a grief that I really struggle with. Um, honestly, more than physical death, because like I can grab your ass in the spiritual world. Like I fully believe in that. I can send you some stuff. But if you're living and I clearly feel the boundaries are pushed against me, I'm not going to send you a text. But you can always text me, right? Mm-hmm. Like. I got you on that. I got you on that. But Peter, your story is riveting because I don't have a thesaurus to make a better description of it. You've made me cry three times. You've taught me so much just by like being my friend alone, but allowing me to come into certain scenarios in your life and really help you pull things apart. And I have so many more questions that I would ask, but I think one of the biggest things is like moving forward, right? Because this is a continuation story. You're able to come back and talk about what you've built off of. Moving forward, like what are you doing with taking these lessons in the future? You have a great foundation, you know, to say sorry faster, you know, and really not. Well, since all of this happened and I've found myself, even with the smallest things, um, slow to anger, extremely slow to anger. I'm far more <laughs> intuitive when it comes to arguments because those are going to happen anyway. Um, and it's crazy because it's, I'm not a pushover. I know when to stand up for myself, obviously, but also if there's a disagreement, if it's not even worth arguing or fighting over, just the smallest things. There's things that would piss me off. Like the other day, this lady, I almost cut her off. Almost. I didn't. But she flew by. I just, I turned my signal on. That's what I did. I didn't get in her lane. I turned my signal on and she like flew by and started doing that whole thing, you know, waving her fist. That and, anger on Kellogg, I yeah, swear. Yeah, it was on Kellogg, Central Business District. Ugh, the worst I tell place you what, ever. I use road rage was a thing, and I'd be like, "Well, f you, just go." I'd go off. Yeah. I just looked, and I was like, "Oh well." I mean, I mean, getting mad ain't gonna help. That's small, but I would. That's a big step. Yeah, I would have been like, "Let me flip her off and be like, well, f you, get the fuck out of here, whatever.'" But I just I let her do what she had to do, and I was like, "Whatever." Um, 
There's been times where Sharon has come at me crazy. I mean, that's big sis. And I'm just like, you can have that. Okay, just because I love Sharon more than you, I'm going to stand up for her and say, <laughs> she probably was trying to get you to come correct, and your interpretation of her is crazy. She, she, she put me in check. All right. I was like. I got you, girl. I told her, I said, you know what, sis, you can have that. She was like, I, but I'm right. I was like, yes, I'm not disagreeing. You're right. You can have that. You. <laughs> well, any other, and in, in, a, in a situation, that same situation, I would have been like, oh, you want to fight, fight. Okay. <laughs> Let's so, I mean, you've definitely, like, lessened. Like, you really, like, time. pick your battles, slow. Big time. And it's just, um, it's one of those things where I don't want to say I see the good in people, even if it's not there, but benefit of the doubt for sure. Benefit of the doubt, even if it's just a total stranger. I'm not a dumbass or anything. It's yeah, just like that, still protect yourself. Yeah, I still protect myself, but it's just like, cool, because I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what anybody's going through. So just like no one knows what I'm going through, just like MS. Mm-hmm. You can't see that shit. <laughs> I did you know not believe like, when you told me, yes. You can't see that shit. So I just, I treat everybody that way. I was like, there's probably a reason this person is pissed off or has a shitty look on their face. Who knows what they're going through? Just be gentle. Mm-hmm. Just be gentle. Be gentle, be kind, and just to basically say what your mom said. I want to repeat them again because I like them. Please the better the take care, the better you take care of this vessel, the longer it will last. Be mindful of what you put in your body, and it is so easy to be nice and respectful. So is it is it so nice to go out of your way to be nice and respectful, or just in general, always just be nice? In general, like, mm-hmm. she would just tell me, like, in general, she's like, it is, you have to go out of your way to be malicious or mean. She's like, mm-hmm. it's easy. Being nice is easy. Like, you have to try to be a, a jerk. You have to try to be mean. And and I found that true whenever I've been pissed off. Like, you know, I've, I've had some disagreements where I can cut deep. Mm-hmm. And then every time I reflect on it, it's like, you really had to try for that one, dude. Like, mm-hmm. you could have just not. Remember what mom said? Yeah. You could just not say shit at all. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that unintentionally hurts more, not saying anything. And maybe you weren't trying to hurt them, but they probably learned a lesson. Mm-hmm. And I just, Yeah. If you don't have anything good to say, just don't say anything. Well, in regards to that, I will say, I think you left some stuff on the track today that you needed to release. So I can't thank you enough for coming into this safe space with me, making me cry. Thank you for having me, first of all. Oh, you are just a light in my life. Long time coming. Yeah, an absolute light. And again, I know... We got like over three hours of content on here of your whole story, and I can't wait to edit it down and show the world because... Just clean it up and don't make me sound like an idiot. You're hilarious. (sighs) But before we get out of here, uh, I want to play that song we picked out together. Please do. So uh, Vitality Exposed is actually going to show us a song we picked out together, but Vitality Exposed does sponsor the music, and I will hype my girl up every day. So if you're over here listening to me and you're getting tired of hearing about Vitality Exposed, but you haven't went and checked her out yet, 
That's why I'm still talking about her. So what are you doing? Go check out her concert photography page. She's amazing. She's also Kelly Catastrophe and she's on this season. So go to her episode. But right now, Peter and I picked out a Neovi song from his album, Twilight. It's called Coming Storm and Peter again. Love you to pieces. Love you Thank more. you so much. And thanks for picking this track out for me. Go download this song now. I love all of you. Thanks for listening. This is the Hoosier Media Network, the best in podcasting.